Welcome back. This is Ladies with Gumption, episode 115, Sparkling Distraction. My name is Jessica, and I'm here with... May. And Tatiana. We are the Ladies with Gumption, and we recap DCTV in a flash. You can contact us um, on Twitter, where we do our live tweets, at DCTV Gumption. You can send us your feedback via email, ladieswithgumption at gmail.com, or on Tumblr, ladieswithgumption.tumblr.com. You can find past episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and also on Patreon, where if you are a Patreon member, you also get exclusive content um, that is only released on Patreon. So, for example, we do a lot of, mostly our uh, base is DCTV, but we also do a lot of non-DCTV things for the Patreon series. Um, For example, we did The Witcher We've done You, Seasons 1 and 2. We just recently finished Elite, Seasons 1 through 3. Um, but we also still do DCTV stuff. So, for example, we had an existing, well, not white, topical podcast about um, actors of color in the Arrowverse. And then also recently, our most recent episode is Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey, um, the animated series and the movie, um, which is live action and not animated. So if you are interested in any of that, and also if you just wish to support us and help us keep this podcast afloat, please visit our Patreon, www.patreon.com slash gumption. In the news, um, not a lot of DCTV news that I'm aware of. I know, May, you saw something about the CW only agreeing to complete the seasons for Flash Legacies and Supernatural when we get back up and running. Yeah, so it was like several, apparently, yeah, yeah, I saw this on a few other places. It was like TV Guide, um, I think TV Line, but it was written like a couple, at least quite a few times. Um, And I know that TV Guide is also like owned by CBS, so they would know. Um, So yeah, basically Flash Legacies and Supernatural will resume or finish off whatever they didn't finish uh, when COVID hit and everybody shut down forward next season so they'll finish out the seasons but I don't, don't think any, anybody else will That's because it's basically telling you where the CW gets its money from <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean in terms of like Supergirl I already know we already know that they ha- only had one episode left and they took some of those scenes and put, them, put it in the what will be the season finale so I guess the CW was like eh, I don't see the point in kind of finishing that off you can just carry on into season 6 um and legends is already done anyway um riverdale with that that's that was surprising i figured that they would finish that up but i guess that they will just yeah, leave really it to next season hmm. yeah and everything else um i don't think there was anything else arrow's already over um batwoman had a few episodes but there it's a first season show so i they cut their losses i guess um so yeah those are like the, the ones that will have uh finished out their seasons and we've already heard from like eric and i think grant who was like they'll film those episodes they've already been written and they'll film them um probably ahead of like season seven yeah so that makes sense so yeah that hopefully i would hope that it's not i really don't want it to be a part of season seven i just want like a flash the movie the tv movie <laughs> before <laughs> And or like move- the way they did Lucifer, like we were talking about before, when they just had the standalone episodes mm-hmm. before the season starts. Yeah. Yeah. And then I guess um, 
in DCAU News, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War premiered, I think, this weekend on May 5th, on May 5th. So, yeah, it premiered this week. Um, I don't know if it got leaked out because I saw, like, links for it before. I think it was officially available. But I don't know. Have you guys heard or seen Apocalypse War yet? I have not. No, I, have I not. feel like this is the first time I'm hearing about it, actually. I knew it was coming, and I knew that there was going to be a live watch, but I have not watched it myself. Okay. Well, it is out there, so if you are... I've, I haven't watched it yet. I saw it, but I had some other stuff going on. Um, so maybe, maybe we can do a live watch of it and, and do, like, an episode, I guess. I don't know. But it is available. Um, so for anybody that likes the DCAU, there you go. We don't have a lot of other DCT-related news. We do have, like, a topical conversation that a lot of DCTV actors got involved in and it's pretty heavy topic it's a triggering topic for me because it's something that comes up like way too often but um recently the video got released leaked online of Ahmaud Arbery um being basically executed by two white men in Georgia as he was like jogging um and a lot of actors in the Arrowverse Candace uh Kayla and Victoria and Grant from The Flash, uh, Megan Tandy, I think, as you from Supergirl are some of the ones that I've seen, but um, a lot of actors using their voices for good and to speak up. Um, got a lot of traction on social media from a lot of different big voices, and um, most recently, the two men that were in the video. And I think the, the whoever took the video, because I think they're saying that whoever took the video was also in on it. So the father and the son have been arrested. And um, I can't remember if there was some kind of effort to arrest the, the guy that took the video. But yeah. I haven't watched the video because I just, I don't really want to see it, it's really, really triggering for me, but um, it is good to see. I mean, it's, it's it's just ridiculous because this murder happened in February, and they're just mm-hmm. now getting around to it. And the, and the cops had the video, and they're just now getting around to it. But because people online saw it, but it just kind of reinforces you know, the, the actors that stand up when you watch a show, you're watching for the characters, but also a lot of times the fandom, you get involved in the actors and their causes and, and what they stand for or don't stand for. So um, it's just really encouraging, for example, like Candace to continue to use her voice and, and be louder with it. I know that was one of the things that she said that she was going to do, um, what was it, last year at the... What it, I forget which conference it was at, or not Comic-Con, but whatever, um, like Women in Power, some kind of luncheon. Do you remember what I was talking about? Where they're talking about, like, racism and, and the television world and how she was talking about, you know, oh, yeah. being oh, yeah. and speaking out more. I remember. Oh, was it the See event, Her? But I don't remember what it was called. Yes. Like, See Her or something like that. Yeah. yeah. It's good because it's also showing, like, she feels more comfortable with it, too. Because mm-hmm. years, like, she's obviously always felt this way, but she didn't get to use her platform as often in the early seasons of The Flash. So. Right. And in terms of, like, her work with The Innocence Project and that recent documentary yeah. about it that came out on Netflix as well, which is super important. 
it's good to see when your faves are also good people IRL. Um, moving back into the purpose of the podcast. So the format for this week, we had all four shows back. So we have Supergirl and Batwoman Superbat on side A, Legends of Flash on side B. We'll discuss our likes, dislikes, and Lady of Gumption of the Week. Our host is Tatiana, and she's going to take it off on side A, Superbat. It's called Lexisode slash Contingency. <laughs> the episode may as well have been called Lexisode. Um, but in fact, the Supergirl episode was called Deus Lex Machina, which is also appropriate because it was a way of tying up all of <laughs> the plot loose ends by putting Lex in them. So Lex proceeds to lay an intricate plan to bring Lena closer to him and away from Supercore, to defeat Leviathan's latest attack, and to pit Supergirl and her team against them. It's also revealed how Lex came into power after Crisis. Melissa Benoist directed, Yay, Melissa! With a story by Lindsay Sturman and teleplay by Katie Rose Rogers and Brooke Pohl. What did you guys um, feel spark joy about this episode? Am I going first? Mm-hmm. Okay. I, I support that. <laughs> um, well, there wasn't much to like, but I did. I really, <laughs> I really did enjoy the Kara and Lena moment. The one nice moment after a season of not nice moments that saw Lena come into her office and sort of like give her condolences for Lena's father, Kara's father's death, and you know, brought me some hope in these dark times because it was a showcase of them taking a step or at least Lena taking a step toward, you know, setting things right with Kara. And I feel like in a lot of instances, even in real life, where something happens to a friend or a former friend and you're like, oh my God, that's so terrible. So you reach out and talk to them. And it was really nice to see her do that, especially since she gave her, you know, a book that helped her through her own dark moments and I thought that that was really sweet and for a moment made me think that you know things will be okay between them um so that was really great and I really loved the little scene where William and um came over to investigate and look into everything with Kara and Alex and uh, Kelly and I think that was just another this like I guess they're trying to make him be somewhat of a perfect man in a way like I brought food and (laughs) (laughs) so that was really nice and just you know showcase their little um, group friendship in general in an episode that wasn't necessarily focused on the super friends Uh, so I like to see that and in general it was nice to see I guess the moments where certain things we've questioned over the season or we're kind of confused about come into, uh, you know, clarity to the point where you're like, Oh, I see, you know, like a light went off in our heads um, watching it um, in terms of like tying in the certain plots and how Lex got to where he is now and how he roped Lena into it and how his mother's involved and um, where Eve Tessmacher shows up because we saw her at, like a couple episodes ago and she was back but we didn't really know like what she was up to um so yeah i did like those moments um and of course like melissa's directing i think she did a great job in terms of like this was somewhat of a very convoluted story and i think she really made it work in terms of offering certain moments of um 
like the way she she shot the Lena and Kara's scene or the way that she did um, the setup for uh, like the striking moment for me was like Jean and Magan's uh, little Martian hello, uh, which was like a nice frame. And the fact that Magan was back, it was a lovely surprise. I was like, oh, shit, <laughs> I can't believe she's back. I don't know how long it took her to get here, but she's late. <laughs> but it was really nice to see her, and I really hope she sticks around. Like I said, it was like Alexis, so because it's basically that this is an episode that was like all about Lex. Um, I think some of the no, I'll get to that later. Um, I thought it was very. <laughs> I think it flowed very. <laughs> I think it flowed very well for sure. Um, how they use Lex's, you know, backstory to kind of fill in the plot holes of this season um i agree with you on the super core scene with with lena and cara um i thought it was interesting first of all backing up how watching like lex manipulate eve in real time um because last season she was already team lex and we didn't really get to see that relationship evolve but this season or in this episode you see from the beginning, like Lex waking up this new world, him discovering Eve again, and then actively using that and developing and manipulating that relationship to get her to fall in love with him because he already knows that that's just innately who she is and what she's going to do. And him using that opportunity to be the hero for her um, to get her to, you know, he's like, you don't have to kill again. Then he manipulates her into killing Jeremiah. So that was that was actually interesting. The plot twist of how Jeremiah actually died because I just thought it was really dumb that he just like croaked. Oh for... yeah, <laughs> I agree with that. He's done now. <laughs> so it was interesting. It, that made his death more interesting now. Um, but to see her kind of go from you know where she was with Leviathan, seeing her going from one organization manipulating her into doing what they want, which was Leviathan threatening her family, to another organization manipulating her to get what he wants, which is Lex, and, you know, that kind of, like, realization. It was very difficult to watch, but it was also very interesting to see him and how he feels and how he did it in real time. And he didn't, he didn't like, say, I never loved you. Um, because apparently they had something going on last season, but he's like, because of that, I am not going to love you because you're a distraction and you're just a useful tool to me. So it's even like a lot colder seeing it in real time play out this time because of Lex's all, all of his prior knowledge and his decision to just use her love, but not love her back. Um, so it just kind of, kind of shows the kind of person that he is. And then, Going from that, comparing him to Lena and Kara and how Lena reacted to Kara's father's death, which was an unintended side effect for Lex, that, you know, his obsession with getting under Kara's skin actually drove Lena back to Kara. Um, I thought it was a really sweet scene between them and how, you know, there, there's that little bit of tension, like they don't know where, where each other stands, but Lena just kind of like, she initiated the olive branch in that situation. And then kind of you see in the scene with 
Alex and Kelly and Kara, you know, Kara's actually like reading the book and saying, oh man, this is a really good idea and like feeling hopeful about it. So you feel hopeful about it for a minute. And then Lex is like, that's enough for today. No more of that. Um, <laughs> I like the, I like that scene in, in the Danvers, well, in Kara's apartment where, um, you know, the use of food in the grieving process, the fact that William brought like a lot of food, it was just like, you know, I can already see it now. Like he, he, how dared he give Car all this food? He's gonna give her high cholesterol. <laughs> but he's just like you know, when you go to someone's house, you bring food, and so he's just a very polite young man, and uh, he brought like a ton of food because he knows they like to eat. So, I mean, you know, what's not to like? I'm like an approving mother. He's like, he's a very polite young man. <laughs> um, but I did, I thought it was really, there's, there should have been another person in that conversation, which we can talk about in the dislikes, but I did like that kind of where they were all together and just unraveling the mysteries on their end from what they know and of course seeing it from the Lexus perspective we all know it's in his within his plot anyway so they're just like learning stuff that he already wants them to know but to see them kind of like get into this fever pitch of conspiracy theories and stuff like that was a really good scene um yeah Magan was a nice surprise I think everything else will probably fall more into my dislike section. I guess I'm glad. Well, not, I don't know. I don't know. Should I'm we done. call it our dislikes section? Dislikes, yes. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I guess I'll, I will say this, the final thing. Um, I think John Cryer is a good Lex Luthor. Like, his iteration of Lex Luthor, he's kind of made it into his own, like, identity. Um, so, yeah. He's, his acting is great. <laughs> I'm done. That was beautiful. Um, <laughs> uh, you both brought up Magan, and I have to say, I totally forgot that she was in this episode when I was writing down my... much more for her to do, but she was there, so you got Exactly. Gotta... I, forgot, I forgot her in my spark joy notes, but it did spark joy when I saw her. I was like, oh my god, Magan! Um, and I even had like a little moment there that was like a little bit of like... John was holding her. So they were like holding each other when they were some part of it. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Space hug. And I was like, yes, they remember that this was a ship once upon a time. So that was really happy about that. And then I promptly forgot about it. So that aside, um, I did think that Melissa did a really nice job directing. Like as much as I am not like a huge fan of like the writing for this episode and not specifically the writing, but more just like the placement and like what they've chosen to do with the arc of the season. Right. I'm not a fan of, but the character beats in the episode all felt earned because they were engineered, if you will, by someone who clearly cares a lot about the characters, who cares a lot about the story, being Melissa. Because most of the time we get guest directors who come in and if they know anything, like if they've directed previous episodes, that's maybe all they know about the show. Um, so you definitely see the difference when you have someone like Melissa um, directing. So good job, Melissa. Um, I also like how in control and unfazed Lillian Luther is in this world. I forgot she, to ask her. Yeah. She was one of the best parts of the next parts of the episode. Yeah. 
She was like head bitch in charge. I was totally into her. And it made Lex seem more unhinged in contrast to her. Right. Yeah. If he just followed her plan, then maybe he would get farther than <laughs> going off with his own uh, like personal vendettas and his own obsessions. And the way that she immediately pinpointed like kryptonite is what brought you down, you know, before. And now it's like, you know, you're letting it filter into your head again when you could just let like Supergirl's great. Everyone loves Supergirl. Why are you bothering with Supergirl? Just leave it alone. <laughs> um, so, yeah, she's really smart. I'm really into her. Um, and I also like, yeah, I like how we see that Lex is so petty. He can't even handle, like, a Lex, a Lena and Kara friendship. Like, he's so obsessive and, like, possessive over Lena for whatever reason. Maybe because, I guess, he's, like, afraid of how brilliant she is. So brilliant she can't even tell that she's being played by him at all, every moment. But still, um, he doesn't want to, like, lose her as a pawn in his, in his plot, I guess, to Supergirl. It's like she's his toy, and yeah. he's going to take the toy and go home. <laughs> he will not share. Um, so I also love how they wove Eve's story from the past world, from pre-crisis world, into this one. Like, that it directly affects uh, Lex's manipulation of her. Uh, the way that he, that he like, toyed with her and that he um, orchestrated everything for her was, like, even more personal and vicious than it would be otherwise. Because, like, she, she was just, like, his assistant, like, whatever in the other world. Um, and he, like, manipulated her feelings for him, but then he found out that, like, she was actually working for Leviathan, and then it's, like, now he's the one personally betrayed, and now he must make her suffer for it, um, which is awful, but I like how they incorporated that into the story. I thought they did a really good job with it, and like you had said, they also made it interesting that Jeremiah died, and that Eve was tricked into it, like, because at first she didn't want to kill again, but then she wanted to, because she thought that was the man that killed you know her dad yeah so so then she was like well great i will kill him and then to find out she just killed supergirl's dad wonderful wonderful um so yeah all of that was really good and i can't remember the doctor's name but she did a really good job actress that plays eve good job <laughs> um also you both already discussed this but i love the lena and kara scene like it's it's nice that that actually drew lena out like she felt compassion for kara they were finally kind of like connecting again that they've both been there before they both lost loved ones they both felt hopeless um and lena wanted him to help make her feel better even if you know losing your mom and losing the man named jeremiah that your sister called dad isn't necessarily the same but it is um it is something that Lena felt like she could reach out to kara with um and yes i love the book i love that kara was happy enough and like felt comforted enough to like actually want to read it and to like follow advice and hope for a future with Lena. Um, and of course it's totally understandable then why Lex was quaking in his boots over it. He was like, no! Supercore Super will rise again! I must rise! <laughs> <laughs> Our original Supercore auntie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> William is a nice guy. He only had like two scenes. I read a review that I shall not name that was basically listing like all the people that could have had screen time in this episode. If not for William sucking it up, we could have had a we could have had me on the talk about this like obviously we could have had me in the episode. We could have had a storyline for Kelly. We could have done this. We could have given Don more to do. That's like there was two scenes, and each scene was like a minute long and had like five other people in it. I'm pretty sure that taking William out of the equation would not have done anything. Like I guess it could have given someone else a paycheck, like Mia, who needs one, but it still would have been two minutes of nothingness. So right. whatever. 
Yeah, and those scenes, it's well, not like he was by himself. <laughs> no, exactly. He's not by himself. It's not even his storyline. He's just like, hey, guys. He should heard you. Lex's information. Exactly. <laughs> Here's some information so that you can believe Lex's plan. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Anyway, I like William. I think he's, and I, I love how non-intrusive he is. Like, I feel like it's well done in the sense that it's like, okay, we wanted to do a romance with Kara, but we know y'all hate it. So here he is for two minutes. Okay, bye. <laughs> Oh, and you know what? It just occurred to me uh-huh. that because, like, Lena gave Kara the book, so this is, like, right after Jeremiah's funeral, so that basically Kelly, Alex, and Kara were having, like, a, a little, it was, like, a little wake in the apartment, and then that's why William brings, like, that shit ton of food, because he's like, y'all are in mourning, here's Aww. some comfort food, by the way, blah, 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 blah. That's See? very sweet. I love that. Yeah, he should yeah. be getting brownie points, not being, you know, hated on. <laughs> he should get the brownie points, and he probably also made the brownie, so, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> so, yeah, so that's it for my likes. How about um, what did not spark joy? May, please share with us. <laughs> oh, man, there's so much that didn't spark joy. I think that, and, and we talked about this over, over text as well, it's like, this episode is basically a redo of last year's episode with Lex and how it all came together and how he was the master manipulator behind the whole thing. But this year it just fell flat because a we're supposed to believe. Yeah. Been there, done that Two, Leviathan are supposed to be these godlike beings. And yet you're telling me that they were one upped by Lex. Like, that makes no sense to me within the scope of the story. These people are supposedly, you know, coming in to Thanos the whole world. Um, and then Lex is out here trying to get the better of them. And it just seems like they should have seen this coming. And it just makes them really look incompetent and stupid when they were taken down by one bald dude with a terrible wig. So, I don't know. It just, like, doesn't sit right with me. And it just makes them look... It just makes the whole season's arc fall flat in general if they're just going to make Lex the mastermind because then you have his whole manipulation scheme. It strips everybody else of their agency. Like you have him trying to manipulate Lena's um, relationship with Kara, which instead of making it about Lena and Kara, it's now about Lex pulling the strings behind the scenes to continue keeping them apart, you know, and, and making up these situations where Lena will, of course, gasp that, you know, Kara is using the, what is it called? The, um... Myriad. The Myriad, yeah. And then it just makes Kara also look like a hypocrite. It's like, oh, well, I can use these things. You can't use these things. But I can use all of these things because I'm Supergirl and I know in my hands that they're trustworthy. So it just, it does make her look like a hypocrite and makes Lena look like she has a point um, a lot of the time because, again... Car is using something in a situation where she told Lena she couldn't use. Um, so it just, again, doesn't sit right with me. And then with the whole Eve thing, it's like, it makes me question and wonder, like, what her history was. Because it's like, who hurt you that you continue being so head over heels in love with a guy who seems obviously like he's just taking advantage of you after another organization took advantage of you, except he was just being nice about it. And they rewrote her whole history so that he could trick her again. And it's, I don't know. It's just like, Oh, let's make Eve a blank slate. Also that we can just repeat the same thing that we had before. And it just makes her specifically look like she doesn't have a mind of her own in a way. Like, 
she never questions him. She does. She just does his bidding without researching or, or asking questions, and it just it just makes everybody look bad. Kind of joke of Harley Quinn, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's kind of like what they want her to be, right? Yeah, I don't like it though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just feel like the episode was. It was way too Lex heavy, and I know a lot of people complain about it too. To the point where John Carr was like, "I'm sorry, I'm not in the next episode as much," <laughs> um, because it was just like as much as Lex is a good character and John Carr plays him really well, it is way too much of him, and he's he sort of swallowed the whole episode. Um, whereas it left even moments, shining moments like the ones between Lena and Kara. Suddenly, those are just bad again because we're back to square one, and it just fell really flat for me and made everything feel a lot like a waste um, compared to like the vision they maybe had, or they're just terrible at executing it in terms of like Leviathan and having a villain that isn't a Luther for once. Because again, we saw that already, so. Yeah, I think that's definitely, I think it was a real well-written episode, but it's just kind of like, we saw this already. Like, last year, it was really surprising, because, like, Lex came in in the middle of the season, and we didn't really figure out until, we thought he was, like, a separate, like, a, a 5B villain. We didn't really figure out until later on down the line that he was also involved in the children of liberty plot and so seeing all that and how far back he actually started was great plot twist um but this time it's just kind of like really you know it it felt like we are retreading the same waters because it worked so well the last time um which is probably the reason why it didn't work as well for me this time um as much as i like john crier as lex Luthor, i also feel like you know He's, it's just very, like, in the beginning of the season, we thought, is he stupid? Because how do you not see Leviathan coming? Like, how is he caught this off guard? And then how is he worried about an organization that no one else is worried about? No one else is worried about Leviathan post-crisis except for Lex. So you just look kind of crazy. And then we get this episode, and you see, like, everything. But, like, especially in his conversation with, with Lillian, I liked Lillian so much because she felt how I felt about Lex's being petty and, like, you're supposed to be the smartest guy in the world or whatever, but you keep getting caught up on this, like, petty... You have everything except laser eyes, and that is the thing that bothers you the most. And it's just kind of like his it's, his Lex is just really insecure and petty. He's insecure over Lena's friendship with Kara um, to the point of just doing unnecessary shit. Um, that will derail his whole plan. And also the fact that his plan is so convoluted and it requires you to believe that he was thinking 15 steps ahead of everybody else. There are so many things that, you know, he was doing throughout the course of the episode, like the whole process of the Sun Eater to distract Supergirl so he'd go out and kill this other person and get, you know, go to uh, Gemma to get this person over here, this person, like... We're supposed to think that he's just like master chess manipulator, which is fine. But his plan and his thought process is so convoluted that I just cannot buy that everything, everybody in the world 
moves exactly the way that Lex predicted they would move, and he was confident that they would move the way that he would move. Um, I just, yeah, they could have been a little bit more straightforward about it. And then also, like you said, May, the fact that Leviathan, our gods, supposed to be, and it's not like they know that Lex is betraying them and they're still kind of toying with him. No, they're actually, like, Gemma is actually getting duped if we believe in this episode. And I'm just like, how stupid are you now? Like, I just, like, reverse. At first I was like, Lex, you're being an idiot. And now I'm like, Gemma, like, are you really a goddess? Because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, you know, we haven't seen the big boss. Gemma's not even the big boss um, yet. But the fact that supposed immortal person that has been around for centuries and have seen many iterations of men who think they know what they're doing and yet you are being confused by this one man who can't even focus long enough to you know not go kill Supergirl's dad just because you know um so it's really kind of frustrating to have started with immortals and then have the season turned around to be like actually it's lex and he's controlling all these people isn't he great not not really um yeah and then the super core scene in the beginning of the episode was really nice and really sweet the super core scene in the fortress of solitude um i also think this episode just to put it out there prep the statement. I think this episode didn't have enough Lena, even if it was the Lex episode. And then also had Lena be stupid to fall into Lex's plans. Because she takes his watch or whatever and goes to the Forces of Solitude. I think the conversation, I will say the conversation between Kara and Lena about hypocrisy was a good conversation. Because I think Lena makes some points, uh, which are the same points uh, that they had when they had the Harnell fight about Supergirl and Kara being the only one to have the moral authority to say what is right and what's wrong and when to use it and when not to use it versus Lena, who has some other opinions that may be different that are equally as just or as for the good of humanity, but they don't match with Kara. So Lena's bad and Kara's good. Um, and even though, like, in that situation, Lena didn't understand all of what Kara's doing, I still think there's some, like, validity in the argument. I just hate the argument in itself being because of Lex and having it tear apart the goodwill that they built up in the beginning of the episode. Um, and then I also didn't like, I thought the Sun Eater plot was stupid, not only because Lex, it was convoluted, Lex's plan, but also just, it was just really random. Um, Magana only showed up for five seconds, specifically for the Sun Eater, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> that was confusing. Um, and then at I mean, she wasn't part of Lex's plan. At least I hope not. They didn't show that part. So I don't I don't really understand. It was nice to see her, but I don't understand why she was there. And then at the end, you know, Lena gave Lex back his watch. And I, all of it, all it is is, like, last day of destination, Fortress of Solitude. And now Lex has access to every weapon under the sun in the Fortress. And I just feel like it was just really dumb that... You know, like you couldn't hop, you couldn't like scramble the the last save destination, Lena, or something. I don't know. I guess she was too emotional after her fight or whatever. But it's just really 
sucks <laughs> for me personally that we ended the episode or Lex episode with Lex getting Fortress the Solitude and everything that he wanted. Um, and then finally, I guess, um, there was no Nia. It was kind of funny because halfway through the episode, Brainy finally shows up and I'm like, oh yeah, there's no Nia. <laughs> and I don't know if it's kind of ironic that because I feel like Nia and Brainy are clustered together a lot. Basically, like pre-breakup, they were always, you know, associated together. So it's kind of funny that it took me seeing Brainy to realize Nia wasn't in the story. Um, but also just Nia, Nia could have been at that apartment with Kelly, Alex, and Kara before William came in. She could have been a part of that conversation. That would have been a great, perfect time to loop her into the plot. Um, I'm not really sure why she wasn't there. So it's just kind of weird that she gets like one episode, one big episode that wasn't even all hers. And then she like disappears again. So, yeah. So that was weird. It was weird. I, I hate this no Nia agenda. I feel personally attacked. At this point, I'm like, does the episode have Nia? Good episode. Does the episode not have Nia? bad episode but (laughs) (laughs) anyway um i um definitely felt that deja vu from last season and last season was better done because it was clearly building towards that the whole time and we're like you didn't know it at first but then in retrospect you're like it all makes sense whereas this time they're like hey it's building to this but they didn't show you anything they're like just wait we'll tell you in that one episode how it was all building to this before that lex will just be here in which case it no longer has an effect it would have been much more um tension building if we had gone to see the steps he took in real time mm-hmm. like especially even like with the whole turning lena against kara in that second because he messed up in the first place by killing kara's dad um <clears throat> would have been better if we had seen earlier on like more like if there had been that moment earlier where they could have almost reunited and then you find out that lex you know whatever blew some shit up to stop them but it was just like okay eight episodes down the line lena was like hey what's up and then like was like no no too much um <laughs> also um i do i do think this is the best live action Lex Luthor. so sorry my wasn't bum you have been dethroned um but i definitely really like john cryer's lex Luthor. but i don't think that he should be sucking the air out of his girl storyline he's not even her villain he is a Superman villain, and we're about to have a Superman show, so go be on that show and stop and stop taking up Supergirl's time. I definitely agree that his plan is, like, super convoluted in this one, and also, the Sun Eater was just so, like, I didn't understand what was happening when the Sun Eater came out. I didn't even know like, what it was, and it wasn't very, um... How does Lex know there's a Sun Eater in the Fortress? Did he find out from Lena, or... Like, I know the inventory up there if he's never been there and he doesn't know where it is. Yeah. I just felt like they were trying to make it a meta of the week versus everything else that was going on. And it wasn't necessary. I feel like they definitely could have found a different way of doing that, but I don't know. Sun Eater was literally just there so that I could get my one Megan moment. And I was like, yes, one Megan moment. Um, But yeah, also aside from sticking people in a VR world, and like, they're not even dead, um, (laughs) Leviathan just doesn't do anything and doesn't seem threatening at all. I don't know what they want other than, you know, to be gods and dominate the world and whatever. Like you guys said, Thanos it. Um, but they don't seem 
they don't seem like they're very difficult to defeat, especially since um, Lex is able to do it in like half an episode. Um, and there's no build. Like I said, like last season, there was a constant build with Ben's group. And I cannot believe that I'm now saying that the Children of Liberty were better villains than Leviathan. Because <laughs> I hated the Children of Liberty. But now I'm like, that was much better done than this. This is just kind of like, we need a villain. So they are here. And we promise you, they're very big and bad. But we have not yet figured out how we are going to show you that. So instead, here's Lex. Exactly. Here is Lex. Um, I also didn't, and I don't think, you know what, I don't think Leviathan was that well done last season either. Like when they're like, it turned out that Leviathan was pulling your strings all along. And I'm like, looking back, I'm like, I didn't feel that. Like, I know that that's true, but Lex can't look like the mastermind last season. And now I'm like, no, the real mastermind was Leviathan. But we also did not show you how that was true. We just <laughs> told it to you. <laughs> I bet you're surprised now. Anyway, um, I also didn't like the, you know, myriad thing and how um, and how they set that up so that Lena and Tara could fall apart. And while I agree with you guys that points were made, I'm also like, I know that Kara isn't going to try to brainwash everyone into being a good person. Do and still true. Good idea. So no, Lena, you cannot have them from here. <laughs> <laughs> the best thought out, but <laughs> like I see what you're saying, Lena, but yeah. I'm still not letting. I just hate that it added fuel to her fire. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. No, because really, like I understand her frustration, but it's because if she wasn't having this insane idea for what is good for the world, then maybe she wouldn't be feeling the frustration. So anyway. Um, yeah, so I didn't like that we got that little bit of hope and then it was just snatched away again. Like, we're going to spend all of season five with absolutely no resolution for Lena and Kara. And maybe if we were going to have, if we were going to get that, like, that one last minute resolution in the final episode, now we won't get it. Which hopefully means they'll build better resolution next season. But they had literally all season to, to increase the tension and, or, you know, I guess do the denouement, if you will. But instead they just have been, like, wayward since Crisis. Like, I think it was, like, building up to a boiling point, and then the crisis happened, and not only did they not, they didn't reset it, which they could have done, and instead it's just kind of, like, Jack trying to hold on, but then letting go <laughs> so that Rose can live, and Rose is Lex. Lex must live, so this latest storyline must just drown. Okay. And that's all, because I already said there is no Nia, and I hate it here. So, would you like to go over the feedback? Um, yes, yeah, sure. We had a lot of Supergirl feedback this week. First up is the ever-reliable Shane. Why is Leviathan? And he says, hey there, lovely ladies. Saw Katie exactly. in a suit, so I'm back on my bullshit. Um... Claps to Melissa's first director episode. Really glad she got to do what she wanted, a Luther episode. I would praise Melissa's firm grasp of visuals and characterization. Um, absolutely love the fortress shot where the light shines down on Lena. But fuck the writers for their inability to propel the plot even an inch. What's with Lex and his weird obsessive anti-core, anti-supercore antics? Is Carr and Lena's relationship really the greatest threat to the supervillain? Chill, bro. They ain't getting married. His presence has essentially arrested any and all plot development in the show this season, and I hate it. Um, let's see. Lena going to check on Kara for, was the first time she genuinely called Kara's name. That's the only solid scene in the episode. I still believe deep down Lena has a good heart, and she knows how lonely grief can be. 
she says losses because she knows it's more than just Jeremiah. It's Argo, it's her planet, and it's her culture, Kara's culture. And on Kara's end, this has been the first time that someone ever acknowledged her loss. Um, and their perfect first step to healing got ripped from our hands just like that. Liam, please stop associating with and thinking Kara is a snake every time she's in a suit. Uh, also, it's a damn shame Kara's sensitivity evaporated at the fortress. She just brushed off Lena's concerns in a fit of moral superiority and dismissed them as inconsequential to the urgency of the task at hand. It definitely reinforces the two-faced statement that Lena makes. Kara might be kind and sensitive as Kara Danvers, but Cole and Cruel as Supergirl. Um, the Lexus suit that Kara uses. Like, isn't the Lexus suit laced with kryptonite? How is Kara able to put it on? Shouldn't Kara use her anti-kryptonite suit? I think Lena built the anti-kryptonite suit, right? Yeah. So maybe that's why she couldn't use it. I'm sure, <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure Brady took out all the kryptonite <laughs> in the Lex suit before he gave it to Kara. <laughs> um, why can't Nia have gotten William's story arc? We literally don't need him around. We had a scene of Nia and Kelly building, budding a friendship in the toilet day. <laughs> in the toilet and then toilet makes me laugh. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they had Nina, Nia and Kelly budding a friendship in the toilet decades ago, and it was a good opportunity for them to team up with this whole, like, their Leviathan story. Um, and he thinks that they should have made Lena a villain post-crisis. Um, made Lena a villain post-crisis? Yes. Okay. His, his reasoning is that, so I can at least, so I, at least I can see Katie serve sexy homoerotic tension with Melissa. <laughs> That's the only way. Um, um, yeah, I, I would have liked that too. So I'll, his, I left out some of the feedback, but it'll go in full on the Tumblr, of course. Uh, we have a first time feedback, uh, respondent. We love first timers. Supergirl feedback. He says, hello ladies, how have you been? My name is Kaya, long time listener, first time writing. We love Welcome. emails. Thank you. I thought this episode was mostly boring. I mean, the last thing I want at this point in the season is a whole episode about Lex Luthor. I'm really tired of him. Also, I can't take this super core angst anymore. The first scene between them was sweet, but then we went back to the usual nonsense. I have to say, though, that I love when they use Lena to point out Kara's contradictions like they did in this episode. Kara was the only one who could have kryptonite, and then the only one who could use Harnell, and now she's the only one that can use Myriad. I do think Lena overreacted and that she had no right to go into the fortress like that, but I can understand her anger. Um, Kelly and Alex had two seconds of screen time again. When is it going to end? And Nia was nowhere to be found. These are all great points. Thank you, Kaya. Hope you write again. Yes, um, next up, we have Celeste. Celeste says, Supergirl, her Supergirl feedback is a brief, mainly because I thought most of this episode was a snooze fest. As much as I love John Cryer as Lex, the storyline of the season just doesn't sound interesting, unlike last season. Some of the plot holes being filled were nice, I suppose. The Car and Lena thing was so drawn out to me. I don't get how they go from being somewhat filled with each other to just as each other's two blah blah blah. Back up. I don't get how they go from being somewhat civil with each with each other to just at each other's throats again. I definitely think that they both need to acknowledge the fact that Supergirl and Kara are the same people, so that there's no need to play two different parts or two different relationships, and that way they can move forward. That does matter. Yeah. I think that's what what Kaya said, or um, Shane, in the early feedback about Kara's being two-based, and how that is somewhat accurate. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> finally, Suara. This episode was overall a great episode of Supergirl. Melissa did a fantastic job directing. Love John's version of Lex so much. He perfectly embodies this iconic villain and makes him his own. Uh, while I'm usually skeptical of background plots, episodes like these, I felt it was done very well here to fill in the blanks. Even though the Leviathan plot line continues to be contrived and makes no sense, Lex was able to make sense of it for his plot, and I'm all here for it. I also love how we get the first hints of Lena's redemption and her offering condolences to Kara before Alex messes it up, of course. Yes, Kara will save her with the power of friendship, and I'm honestly here for it. I can't help but love my problematic babe, Lena, oh so very much. So, Suara is in love with Lex and Lena, his problematic Luther children. That's all the feedback we have. I support your life choices, Suara. <laughs> <laughs> So with that in mind, do we have any predictions? That the Leviathan will feel more threatening. <laughs> I don't know if I have much. Like, I think, like, with Leviathan, if there is, like, I think, what did I say? Because I had, I had a prediction when I first watched the episode that I don't remember what it was. <laughs> Good one. You want to go look it up in the chat? <laughs> I, that's going to take forever, I feel like. But I do, I still think my, um, like, pre-crisis prediction still hasn't paid off yet because there is a big boss, a final boss above the two idiots that we have now. So, and somehow I feel like it's related to the Luthers, specifically to Lena. So I still have hope that Lena's mother is like actually the, well not, I don't know if it's hope, but I feel like there ha- that has to come back back around of why Lena was so drawn to Leviathan in the first place, and that thread has not been tied off yet. All right, I like that. Like, so like, especially like if Lily like, is actually the head of Leviathan or part of Leviathan, and she's actually like pushing Lex to fuck up with Leviathan. No, not Lily and Luther. Like, like Lena's actual mother. <laughs> oh, dead mother. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. not dead. So Lena didn't kill her. Oh yes. my god. Amazing. <laughs> Leviathan. <laughs> I see now. Especially well, Lex thinks that he's like taking control and mm-hmm. all this time Lena was still by nature of birth once <laughs> 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 She gets the best of both to your terrible worlds. <laughs> See, but then I then I would have want that to have been Lena, like Shank said, or um Right, like, Lena finding shame. out. Yeah, know? so, that, like, if she had been the mm-hmm. villain, it would have made more sense for this episode to have been Lena-centric. Mm-hmm. Like, she was doing okay. all the plotting because her mom was Leviathan, and she found out about it. That would have been amazing. Yeah. Yep. But we can't have nice things. Alas. Anyway, uh, since the rest of us cannot measure up to Jessica in terms of our predictions, <laughs> we will move on to Batwoman episode if you believe in me i'll believe in you that woman enlists luke and julia part of the honorary bat team for an undercover mission to recover one of the most important items from her cousin's arsenal a journal by lucius fox about how not to get murdered if you're batman (laughs) while (laughs) while alice continues developing her devious plans within arkham's walls she gets an unexpected visit from jacob kane who needs her help with Tommy. So then Alice decides to fuck around and um, screw Tommy over even more. 
and then we get touched, which is what we have all not really wanted, but kind of been waiting for. So good for us. Um, meanwhile, Mary tries and succeeds in proving herself to Kate. Sophie gets closer to Julia, which makes Kate see flames on the side of her face. But then Kate reunites with an old flame who we all want to drown in water and burn out. Regan, or Regan, or whatever her name is. Um, Barton Girl. <laughs> James Banford directed the episode, written by James Stuttero and Chad Fivash. Fivash? I don't know. Ash, probably. So, what sparked joy in this episode, Jessica may begin? Um, well, I did like the when Kate went to go see Tommy Elliott at Arkham, just for the fact that I was surprised that she actually got into Arkham <laughs> since Alice runs it now. But um, the actual conversation with Tommy Elliott uh, pretending to be crazy, which it was, le- it was more obvious in his conversation with Kate um, than it was last week. Last week, I just thought he was like legit crazy. But this week, you could t- kind of see him turning it, turning the dial up or down, depending on how close she was hitting to home or not. Um, like his, like, have you heard from Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> was hilarious um and him being like offended that that someone called lucius bruce's best friend or something like that um that was awesome yeah and yeah just his his playing crazy was actually pretty interesting to see from him um and that led on to the rest of his plot with or his partnership with allison and, and um Kate's club dance moves when she's like, it's like trying to get Luke to <laughs> get on like the party train was like hilarious. I love uh, Goofy Kate, and that was great. I think that I also like that Kate is becoming now more acutely aware of Penny Moore. Uh, it was very satisfying to me personally uh, watching her kind of get. Jealous, like the last time we saw Jealous Kate was at the opening of the bar lounge when Sophie was getting hit on by that girl that I have not seen again, but with the crow security. So this time, like she's like all over like Julia's shoulder while she's texting Sophie's like, what are all these hamburger emojis? Like who did y'all get like on emoji official (laughs) level? Um, I like the fact that Julia keeps calling Sophie Soph (laughs) because that seems to get on Kate's nerves a lot like she didn't realize how close Julia and Sophie were um and like lol the fact that Julia got Sophie to try kimchi on a burger which I don't I've never tried kimchi on a burger so I don't really know if I'm missing out on something but apparently it's the best ever and Julia got Sophie to try it when Kate tried and failed so (laughs) all of that little kind of and it feels like Julia is oblivious I mean, she can't, I I feel like personally, you can't be that oblivious to the fact that Kate is this, like, agitated. But it's played like Julia is oblivious to the fact that Kate is bothered by this, which makes it kind of funnier. Um, And I also thought it was very interesting that Julia mentioned Sophie talked to her about coming out to her mom. Um, So I, and I like that that is something that Kate knows now. And 
that she knows that Julia knew first. I also like that Kate knows that Julia knew before she knew, because hopefully that will drive Kate to actually talk to Sophie to see if Sophie will also tell her um, and see if to see if they're like on the same level as Julia and Sophie. Because um, I feel like we talked about it last week, how it well, yeah, well, it was in this episode as well. But ever since Julia and sorry, ever since Sophie and Kate quote unquote broke up, like. Kate broke up with her as Batwoman. They haven't really shared any plot together. And then in this episode, it was all Julia teaming up with Kate um, and Sophie being on, like, the outside. So I feel like maybe that distance that we were feeling in the narrative plot was also within the narrative of Julia, of Sophie and, and Kate not really connecting anymore. So hopefully this means that in narrative now Kate was like you know what I really haven't talked to Sophie since I killed that person maybe I should talk to her maybe she if she's out to her mom now then maybe she will be interested in us again you know and and maybe not Julia and so hopefully it pushes into that direction um also really love Mary (laughs) that's just default a given um and but just like how hard she's trying to be a part of the bat team like she felt like she cleared one hurdle that she knows and kate knows that she knows and it's okay that she knows um but then to actually be actively a part of the bat team feels like the next like bigger hurdle and i felt really bad that she went all out she went through all the terrible to pick out all these club looks like she was definitely on the train with Kate, but then <laughs> Kate was like, you're still on the bench. You're not part of the varsity squad. And that was just another, like, blow. Um, because, you know, Mary is always trying to be part of the cool kids, even though, like, she's an influencer in her own right. But within her family, she's not part of the cool kids. And so, you know, her trying to, to live up to being the sister that she thinks Kate, Kate wants and I totally get it from Kate's perspective. From a practical standpoint, like, Mary is more of a liability on the field since she doesn't really have any combat training. Um, and she's the only sister that is sane that Kate has left, and so she wants to protect that. Now, I do like that at the end of the episode, Kate does actually verbalize that thought process and make sure that Mary understands that it's not because she doesn't want Mary. It's because she, it's because she does want Mary around and she does want her in her life that she's trying to protect her. But she wants her around for a long time. Yes. Um, Mary being an influencer is she's like a professional, like party hopper. But like, I feel like they probably could have used her hail Mary pun intended of talking to the mob boss's cousin as plan a, because I feel like that would have been a safer plan, but alas, it did not go the way that they expected at first. And so Mary was able to like step in and Luke had her back. Um, So that was really nice coming out story, I guess, or superhero origin story for Mary in that episode. So that was really nice. Um, Like I said, the aftermath scene of Kate and Mary talking to each other was just a great scene because it just kind of, we know how Mary has felt all season being second best to Beth and Alice and in this episode to Julia. So it was kind of the first time that Kate was acknowledging Mary, which I'm sure like meant a lot to her and kind of like validated everything that 
Mary feels like she brings to the table. So that was, that was really nice. Um, and then the Tommy Elliot Alice Arkham plot. I, I was excited about when they, Alice was telling him that we can give you any kind of face that you want. Cause we know like he's going to want Bruce Wayne's face. And <laughs> the fact that, um, you know, we're going to have hush and then whenever his face does get completed, like he's going to have Bruce Wayne's face and no one knows except for, I mean, even like this is potentially because Tommy Elliott is so obsessed with Bruce. He probably knows so much about Bruce to be able to play Bruce. And then you have Kate who knows that Batman's gone, but she doesn't make, she, she could still be fooled by a Bruce Tommy Elliott. And so there's all this kind of like, potential for great stuff down the road and also i just like personally really want to see what cw bruce wayne looks like even if it's not like actually bruce wayne (laughs) same here (laughs) or i hope it's like a situation where we'll we'll see the back of his head (laughs) no that is just like probably if they were to finish out the season finale we would just like the the cliffhanger would be the back of bruce's head and that would be it. We wouldn't, they would cast him. Like, we'd have to see him in season two, which yes. you know would be a funny way of following Supergirl in a way, because Supergirl is like we only heard about Clark, we never or saw his shadow, and then season two we met Clark. Mm-hmm. Um, parallels. <laughs> Are those all your likes, Manir? It is okay. Um, yes, I mean, I agree with all of that. I love the fact, I feel like Mary and Zari should meet. They're both influencers. Yeah. They both know what they're doing. They just walk in and take over. I love it. I need it to happen. I need to cross over. Um, I love that she influenced, used her influencing to walk her way into the club and, and essentially like save Batwoman and Julia, both of these women who are like trained, they can fight and they were like, you know, the damsels in distress. Um, and I love that Mary got her shining moment to sort of prove herself. And I mean, we've always known that she's capable, but to everyone else, like you said, you know, she's not used to being the one in the family who people rely on like that. Mm-hmm. And so it was really nice to see her kind of step up to the plate and finally prove her worth to other people about how awesome we've always known her to be. Um, and yes, Kate validated Mary as a sister. Finally, it only took like 17, 18 episodes. Um, cause it's like since the beginning and it's always felt like Mary really, really cares about Kate's opinion, what Kate's doing, wanting to be close to her, her feeling less than, than Alice. Um, just feeling like an outsider, even though she wants to have that close sibling relationship. And then last episode, we heard a lot about how Kate apparently taught Mary how to drive, even though she didn't have her own license or whatever. So now we're finally getting to see Kate react to to that and actually voice the fact that, yes, Mary is really important to her. She had, you know, she loves her. She cares about her. She doesn't want to see her hurt. And I love that because Kate's usually not very expressive and a lot of things and situations so it's really nice to finally have those moments between them because I think they make a really fun duo especially like you know like when Batwoman lets Kate be less broody you know like they let Ruby Rose kind of like do the little club dance like it's very very cute and I feel like the more she hangs around Mary the more we could also get to see that side of her as well Um, so I love all that 
I like the fact that like everyone had one goal, which was to get like Lucius's journal <laughs> and that nothing about it was easy, which only makes it even more mysterious because you get to the end and they're like, oh, my God, it's all in code. What the fuck? <laughs> um, so that was really great. And I feel like it's just one step, you know, closer to possibly coming to a realization that, you know, maybe Lucius isn't dead or there's something else, you know, going on behind the scenes. Okay. <laughs> yeah i mean he probably is but there's like still you know the fact that he sort of lives on in the journal and we're one step closer to finding out more about the pre-batwoman days uh is really fascinating to me um and the fact that it gives luke more you know emotional content to deal with once they actually do get the journal and crack the code and whatnot um i like that reagan was reagan reagan whatever um was revealed to be a not so great person and that she was Magpie's sister because I'm like, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, Woo! this just made my day. Cause I'm like, we knew, we knew something was wrong with you. We knew if we didn't like you for a reason besides, you know, shipping. <laughs> um, so that was really satisfying to watch because it just means that she was sort of using Batwoman the whole time to get, her own sister, the journal that she needed. So it's fun to see like different sisterly dynamics going on in the show. Um, even though I don't really like either of them. <laughs> um, Sophie and Julia, super cute. I love this ship. They were heart eyeing each other. You know, they know what burgers they like. It's just super domestic interactions. And I like to, to see it. And I even like, I feel like, Kate realizing that Sophie and Julia were closer than she thought. I could just hear like the song Jealous playing in her head. She's like, I still get jealous. <laughs> that was beautiful. Please sing more. <laughs> <laughs> so that was really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, I think that the main plot was like really strong and it's, it's moving along. Um, all the stuff at Arkham. Tommy Elliot coming back in a big way, even though he only like they, the way that they introduce him, you think that was inconsequential overall, but the fact that he wasn't in like every single episode and he's not necessarily, or he wasn't previously the main, main bad guy. And now he's coming back um, is really great. And I think I'm, I'm actually really looking forward to see what they do with him. And that is all. I agree with you. I actually, um, I was really enjoying him this episode. Um, but first I will start with Mary, who remains the love of my life. Um, I love, she's my favorite character on the show, and I love just how hard she tries so earnestly to, um, to be a part of that team, to be a part of Kate's life. Um, and she always remains helpful, and, like, she always tries to um, make things turn out well for the people that she cares about, even when she is being underestimated and feels left out and whatever. And she could be petty or she could be, you know, take out her anger on people, but she never does. She's always like, okay, I will just show you by being even better. Um, she is the best. Also happy to get more of a Luke and Mary friendship um, and that he had to take his blindfold, blindfold off uh, in terms of her abilities. But at first he also was kind of like the first one to explain, like, it's not because we don't think you can do something. It's because we don't want anything to happen to you. Luke also Luke is a part of the bat team. He's on the varsity bench. He stays in yeah, that's true. That's true. He likes it there. He likes it there. He's like, come have fun with me. This is, this is the cool place. Um, oh, I also love 
was this the episode where she went to the Batcave with him and then she was like taking pictures? Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> He's like trying to throw an Instagram live. No, no. <laughs> he was like, this is why you can't go out in the team yet. This is why you're still on the bench. But um, that was really cute. Uh, and very uh, merry of her. And she's like, okay, fine, sorry. Um, also, when he, and then he, like, accidentally reveals that it's Bruce's, that Bruce is Batman, two seconds Bruce later. had his identity, like, revealed more times since <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Come back, like, I'm going to be like, welcome back, Bruce Wayne, Batman. Exactly, Bruce Wayne, Batman. <laughs> It'll just be like a, it's a welcome back party, and all of Gotham is there for both of them. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> also, I really, really like, um, how, like you guys said, Kate's apology to Mary at the end felt very genuine, was very sweet, you know. Now we can look forward, hopefully, to a uh, much more consistent uh, sisterly dynamic from now on, with Mary, like, officially kind of being inducted into the team and both of them being understanding. So, very happy about that. Um, also, Mary does, I think, make Kate lighter. And when we get to see lighter Kate, we get to see more dimensions of Kate which allows Ruby to expand her acting abilities, which we are all very happy to see being done. So it's just win-win for everyone. Um, bartender girl, the fact that she is Magpie's sister and is working with her was excellent um, because it would not make any sense for anyone to be as thirsty as she was to get back to the girl who oh, blew her off as badly as they did. Like, that was just sad. Um, so I'm glad it was a mirage. Um, and of course, the fact that she does actually like Kate is, um, does give some, you know, interesting tension to the story if you cared at all about Regan, which you I do not. But, you know, they tried, <laughs> and I give the props to Regan. It, it was well constructed, even though I don't like it. <laughs> um, remember when we started the episode, you were like, Everyone we hate is back in this episode. <laughs> this is going to be terrible. But instead, it actually ended up being good. Like, Regan and uh, Magpie made each other better. <laughs> by, by, by weighing each other down. So, Do you just make a positive or something? Yeah, like, I don't know. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know how it worked out. Um, and I wasn't necessarily, like, you know. So, and then, on the other hand, like, Tommy Elliott, when his beef was first introduced, I didn't like it at all. Now that he's in Arkham and being manipulated by Alice and yelling about how Lucius Fox couldn't possibly be his best friend, which I wasn't when he was first introduced, because I did not see the connection between him and the character about much. I love Julia and Sophie's chemistry and Kate being jealous of their burgeoning friendship slash relationship. And I especially think that it's important for Kate to find out that Sophie came out to her mom and that she was left out of that loop because... Um, she's been leaving Sophie out of the loop for this entire season as well. And uh, obviously she's the one that sort of like ended things as Batwoman. So uh, how the turntables. Anyway, um, I also um, like James Bamford's directing. Like I think that you can just at least see it in the choreography of the fight scenes and how each of the um, ladies have their own style. Um, that feels like it's indicative of their characters and also seems like something they could realistically do. Um, so, yay for the bat, well, bat team shining in the club fight scenes. What did not spark joy? Well, I mean, it did spark joy because, like, <laughs> I have been vindicated, but, like, 
you're like, finally, my irrational hate of a fictional character has been validated by this episode. Um, I knew Reagan wasn't shit. And now that I think back on it, her, like you said, her, like, pick-me behavior from the earlier season makes a lot more sense. So it sparks joy in a sense in, like, you know, how fitting it is that she's related to the other character slash villain that I didn't like, Magpie. And, like, I feel like we talked about it just last week, how the Magpie episode was one of the last bad episodes of season one. And, like, here she is again! All of our non-favorites are in the same episode, but I I do agree with you guys that the fact that Regan is actually related to Magpie and that they were working together makes her a lot more interesting. Still did not like her seeing her show up in this um, episode, especially like on the back of Julia Sophie in like the elevator and um, Kate getting jealous of it. It just felt like it kind of like drove forward that situation with Regan and. Um. yeah, like, I just felt, especially, it, it is good that she was playing Kate, because, like, the only thing that I liked about reading in the last time that we saw her was the fact that she broke up with Kate, because Kate was not personalizing or prioritizing their burgeoning relationships. She's like, okay, so I'm just gonna, like, go and do my own thing. If you don't want to be with me, then fine. And then in this relation, in this episode, she's like, you know what? No! <laughs> I made a mistake. Why didn't you come after me, Kate? Like, why would you give up that one piece of agency that you had? Um, so it was, it was actually good that they revealed it was because she was playing her the whole time. But also the fact that she was playing her the whole time, I don't care if she has actual feelings now or not, but it's just, like, one more thing. <laughs> That means that they should just not, like, Kate, steer clear. Please, steer clear of that situation. Um, Did not spark joy that they didn't call Sophie for backup at the club at all. Um, I think we had an on-mentioning as well. It kind of feels like Julia is replacing Sophie or taking over Sophie's spot. Um, And Sophie's not really as involved in the plot anymore. I feel like part of that is because, like, she and Batwoman kind of broke up. Um, But then also, you know, Julia is conveniently there. But even in this situation, even if there's some kind of, like, overlap between Batwoman and the Lucius Journal, Sophie and Julia have been working on the Lucius Journal plot for episodes. They're the ones that told Luke. It makes sense that she should be part of the group to try to retrieve the journal. I feel like the uh, explanation of, well, let's just say that Sophie's arresting Tommy Elliot was, like, super weak because it just took her away from the plot. Nothing happened in the plot because fake Tommy Elliot was dead when they got there. After she after she found out it was a bust, like, why didn't Sophie, like, you know what, Julia, hey, that's a bust. Or, you know, somebody should have called Sophie because they were in deep shit over there at the club. And Sophie could have been a decent backup. Like, I, I get that. This was definitely Mary's big chance to prove that she could contribute, and she definitely did. But I still think the smart thing when they were freaking out on what do we do should have been let's call Sophie <laughs> and tell her that something's going on, that Julia needs your help, or you know something. Um, so yeah, I I definitely feel a little bit like Sophie is being sidelined at the moment. Um, which I guess is another reason why I hope that next week's episode with Kate becoming aware of Sophie again and not maybe wanting to lose Sophie to Julia, that maybe 
they will bring in Sophie on a plot, especially since Julia seems a little bit shady now. Um, when she got caught <laughs> by the mob dudes or whatever, and they're like, "Who are you working for?" And she was like, "The SSR." It's like, "No, you're not." So that brings in a kind of um, weird dynamic of. And I guess I guess this isn't really like a not spark joy, but just the fact that she is kind of shady. Um, and then she's also in the middle of Kate and Sophie at the moment, and we don't really know if she's a good guy or a bad guy. It's not really not spark joy, but it, you know, it's interesting that maybe she's not the best person, and it's just another person that is close to Kate that will potentially betray Kate. Um, Jacob and Jacob, it's Jacob, period. <laughs> but his conversation with um, Alice, I just, so, I don't know. It's a lot of times when, especially when it's Jacob and Alice talking to each other, I feel like there was some attempts, they go in this like circle of there's some attempts to say, I'm sorry, but then there's also, it's followed by like twisting the knife in deeper. Um, so you've got like Alice, championing mental rights, mental health rights, and how Arkham is just a horrible place that needs to be shut down. And Jacob's like, you know what? I understand you. That may be true. I'm not taking you out. <laughs> you know, and just like, <laughs> I only have two daughters, and those are Mary and Kate. But please help me anyway, because while you're, while you're in there, why not? <laughs> so, like, that whole, I don't know, conversation between them, I don't know why it was necessary for Jacob to ask Alice of all people about Tommy Elliot, like why would she ever tell you anything? I just thought it was kind of stupid just to get Tommy Elliot on Alice's radar, maybe. Um, I could have done without Jacob in this episode, to be honest. I don't think he really brought anything other than a way to like make Alice look like the same person in that relationship. So that's it. Um, yeah. Let's see. I agree with all of this. Um, I think the lack of Sophie is very, it's becoming way too apparent. Uh, Julia is getting this whole mysterious storyline about who really hired her, who she's working for. She's getting kidnapped. She's working with Batwoman. And it's just like Sophie has the skills and the intel to be in on this, and yet you're keeping her outside a little circle of trust that you guys have built for yourselves and what really sucks is that she was basically like a few episodes ago she proved that she could have she could work with batwoman even if you don't want her to know you know the writers don't want her to know that that it's kate but she could still work with her because she is a batwoman ally so i don't really see why they can't let her in on this especially since julia can make up some bullshit about you know if she's MI6 or was working for them or whatever, then sure, she could also be working for Batwoman without knowing that it's Kate Kane either. Like, these things don't need to be revealed. And I feel like that was, like, that that could have been, like, an easiest lie. Like, the lie that Kate told Regan of, I asked Batwoman to help me get the journal <laughs> would have been fine for Julia to be like, Sophie, I have this thing, but, you know, we also called in Batwoman. 
it's not that hard. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And it's just the fact that, you know, Julia, we even had like, it was cool that Kate found out, you know, Sophie came out to her mother, but it was through Julia and that's fine. But we also didn't see that moment between Julia and Sophie. Like, I think that that could have been interesting because it would have also developed their dynamic. So, it, you know, everything moving forward would have been even more believable than what we've been getting. So it's all sort of, it's cute interactions, but I would like to see more of that on screen. Um, yeah. Like you said about Jacob, I don't, he shows up and it's just like everything out of his mouth is like, are you, you're certainly not dad of the year. You're certainly not crow boss of the year. I don't know what's going on with you. <laughs> you just exist. And I don't understand the, the relationships he has with anybody at this point. So it's just really bizarre that he just keeps coming back and showing his true colors every single time. Um, and yeah, like magpie is not a great villain. And I think that, I thought it was much more interesting knowing that she was after the journal because now I, I want to know why. But she was, her, after she was hired by Alice, right? Right. Yes, that's true. That's true. You're right. So I never want to really see her again. Any <laughs> <laughs> <In> conclusion? Any <In> conclusion? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like if Regan comes back and decides that she, you know, actually has genuine feelings for Batwoman and wants to help, then. I could honestly just care less at this point. Um, so yeah, those are like the primary takeaways, just the, like the lack of Sophie. And it's, it's very frustrating because we're near the end of the season and she still hasn't really gotten too much beyond coming out to her mom. And I don't like that. That seems like her only storyline this season when compared to all these other characters who are just popping up and getting stuff to do. And she isn't. So it sucks. It does indeed suck. I cannot disagree with you there. I really, I feel, I really like Julia, but I just feel like ever since Julia shown up, it really is ever since Sophie and that woman broke up, but then Julia shows up and it's like, she's literally taking over the things that Sophie does, which is, you know, be the crow's like right hand woman and be Kate's flame or like a side adjacent to Batwoman team. You know what I'm saying? Bat adjacent. <laughs> Bat adjacent. There we go. So now Julia's here and doing those things and Sophie's just on this random, you know, like fool's errand or red herring. That mm-hmm. isn't even that exciting because we already know where Tommy Elliot is. Mm-hmm. So it's like not a surprise. There was like nothing going on there, like y'all already said. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know why this is happening, but I don't like it. And like, I really hope, I think I said this last time, but like Megan Tandy better have something else she's filming or whatever. Like there hasn't been a reason why we're not getting much Sophie. Cause otherwise I'm like picketing time. So we can't gather in large <laughs> crowds. So virtual picketing. But anyway, um, I also, uh, could not see shit during the opening fight sequence. Well, it's um, James is the answer to that. <laughs> I was like, turn on the lights! Why can't I see what is happening? I think he has really good fight choreography, um, but clearly his lighting person is terrible, and he needs to get that fixed. Um, also, why didn't Kate, or how did Alice not realize her cousin was Batman? Again, it's like, Kate is Batwoman. How do you think Kate like just decided to be Batwoman? No. Clearly, Kate has access to Batman's things, which must mean that someone that is close to Kate is Batman. 
<laughs> Who would that be? Probably Bruce. So anyway, I was just, that was just I a little bit like, like I was kind of annoyed that Alice like figured out through Tommy that Bruce Wayne is Batman, and then <laughs> <laughs> I legit yeah, thought figuring out was... that Bat- Bruce Wayne was Batman in this episode. Yeah, I legit thought that that was just a given. I did not know that it was something that Alice would need to be told. So I was like, oh okay, well then. And surprised about yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that you're surprised. You should have been like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, actually. Mm, duh. I just don't care about Batman, so I didn't Another think Another family member I hate, since he's the one that didn't save us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. But anyway, but that's pretty much, like, I mean, the big one is really Sophie. I really, really don't like the way that Sophie is being sidelined or treated or whatever. And I really don't see why, at this point, she can't be let in on the secret. There's no tension coming from her not knowing. Aside from, I guess she'd be more willing to make out with Kate, but it's not like she was, you know, I don't know. Before. <laughs> yeah. So whatever. I don't know. Um, but yeah, otherwise it was enjoyable. I mean, the fact that Regan was in it was definitely a bummer. And the fact that this means that she will continue to be in it things, <laughs> because obviously they had to resolve the whole, you stole the journal or you didn't, you didn't actually, stole the but whatever, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, you, you betrayed me, but also you, might like me let's talk about that and i'm like let's not let's not talk about it but we will have to <laughs> and that also means more magpie and so even though they've made each other better uh it would have been nice if this had also been their end so we actually have some batwoman feedback this time around yes 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 we do from celeste so on batwoman celeste says once again batwoman is way more interesting than supergirl each episode since the pilot has gotten increasingly better and i hope it stays that way Sophie confiding in Julia about her situation was nice. One of the complaints I've had this season was that Sophie didn't really have anyone to talk to about her issues, and she was just facing it all on her own. So I'm glad that changed. Kate being jealous was really funny. I think it makes it even funnier because it's her ex and her other ex getting closer. Mary was amazing this episode. I love how she's being incorporated into the Bat Fam slowly. I got Kate's reasoning for why she didn't want her to join the team, but Mary made some excellent points. She's almost always been able to defend herself to an extent. Finally, Regan returning Z's across the board. Personally, I have no interest in another bland character like her, but at least they tried to make her interesting. Also, the ending in the promo. I have a theory that with Julia and Regan both seeming shady, it will be the thing that kind of pushes Kate and Sophie back on actual speaking terms. That way, Sophie will no longer be so isolated from everyone else. Either way, I'm excited for the inks and everything that follows. Which will lead us into predictions. Indeed. That, that's our only feedback, right? Yes. So I have a prediction. Do y'all have predictions? No. For your prediction so first. My prediction is that Julia is working for Sophia. And that's how they're going to bring that storyline into the show. Um, but only because Sophia or her little order, that name I've forgotten, the dead rose or the black rose something about a rose it's like darkness and roses i don't know um but only because sophia has like someone important that's being held hostage or like someone important's life is at stake like particularly alfred because mm. you know I like bruce that. is not gonna be in that problem so yeah and that way it'll be like oh i'm upset that you lied to me but also this is not the end of our friendship yeah. because you're still a good person so yeah i, I like think a lot of sense because we haven't seen that storyline picked up again since alice is like oh no she's after me so, um, and I, I get, like, they put in this, like, doubt for Julia to seem shady, but I feel like there has to be more to it, especially since Julia left her, went rogue and left the SRR, SSR, whatever it was, 
in the UK. I think she would have went rogue for a reason and came to like stick around and she knows like the like the fact that she knew it was connected to Lucius's journal and that's how she got her in, pretending to be to care just about Lucius's murder. Um so I do feel like it's all connected and I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm just still waiting for Tommy Elliott's Bruce Wayne. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Release the casting. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Oh, it's gonna be such a shame if we have to wait until next season to see it. Oh. And it's gonna be a shame if he's like five foot nine in real life. Like, come on, please. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so, uh, with that done, would we like to nominate uh, ladies with gumption for side A? Lex is not a lady, so he can't. <laughs> he cannot win. No, he uh, cannot. I would say it's definitely Mary. Yes, for absolutely, Batwoman. And for Supergirl, I would say um, Nia for having the gumption to stay away. <laughs> Even when I had asked her to come back many times. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> Eve, but Eve is being manipulated the whole time. I mean, Lillian for telling her son that he... That he there you go. <laughs> Lillian. Lillian Luther. Lexi's a dumbass. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but I definitely would say Mary is my number one gal for side A. Yeah. All right, so now on to side B, quid pro quo slash side effects. The Flash episode was called Pay the Piper. When Godspeed returns, after 18 episodes, Barry turns to Hartley Rathaway for help, not Hartley Sawyer, which I constantly get confused. However, things get tense quickly after Barry realizes that one of the changes in crisis is that the Flash and Pied Piper are now enemies because the Flash put his boyfriend in a six-year vibrating coma, which is really shitty of the Flash. Meanwhile, Iris tries to escape the Mirrorverse, but instead talks to Camilla about how great Cisco is. Amanda Tapping directed the episode, written by Jess Carson in her first go-round. Congratulations, Jess. Welcome Yay. to the writer's team. So what sparked joy? And this time, May. No, May. Yes, May. You're keeping track. (laughs) 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 Um, I, I thought this was, I mean, this was mostly filler, I guess, but it was like the type of filler, obviously that I enjoy because it let the characters breathe and take, take stock of all of their emotions. And um, it really, like, I really felt the hopelessness and the sense of loss, even though, you know, Iris is obviously not dead, but everyone, Barry's concerned that she is. <laughs> um, and the fact that it was like there was communication, he was telling the team what happened and the scene with him and Joe, I don't know how he found him, but like I really loved the fact that he went to Joe and he just like just rewatching the scene was he just fell into his arms, just like, yes, it's Iris and these two men who love her so much. Um, and, you know, it was, it was great to see because I feel like we haven't gotten a really heartwarming moment with joe in a really long time since maybe six ten, and it was really nice to see that back at the forefront even if it was only for a few minutes um to see them talk about iris and joe tell him that you know she's been acting weird which you should have told him before <laughs> but um the moment was really really heartwarming um and i like that barry sort of unburdened himself onto joe um because he was like the only one who could really understand what losing iris would mean 
um, before he went to everybody else and told them. So I really love that this episode sort of stewed in the feelings of guilt. There was guilt all around. Uh, Barry was guilty, felt guilty for not realizing that Iris was an Iris and Iris feeling guilty because she was a journalist and she didn't realize that Ava was manipulating and lying to her. And Cisco was feeling guilty for some reason. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) And he gave up his vibe powers and now he can't really sing. And now, yeah. And now he can't really feel, he doesn't feel like he can help. And everyone was, so all the themes came together really well, tied into each other. And it was really like they sort of hit us over the head with it. But the fact that like love (laughs) is what drives everybody like that undercurrent um, of having love. And like, these guys are just completely lost without the loves of their lives. Um, And then you have like Hartley tying to that as well. Even, you know, uh, later on that we realized, Oh yes, Roderick is clearly his boyfriend, which was very obvious from the very beginning. (laughs) But um, (laughs) we, we really got that sense of like, this is what, brings everybody together and it was really nice to to have Hartley back and um even like the snark with him and Cisco and complaining about Wells and I was waiting for them to start just randomly speaking Spanish to each other which did not happen (laughs) 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 but it was really nice to have him back and have him play a different version of the Pied Piper that we used to know but you know a post-crisis version of him which is really cool um, and just again, the flash bringing back a bunch of uh, metas that we've seen before and giving a little bit of a twist. Um, I really enjoyed Iris' storyline with the neural dissonance and her going after. She finally oh. gets to leave the office and go after. Um, I think, like lock the door every time she left. Like I guess so. Door. You know, I guess she just believed that there was nothing left because she believed this woman was an honest woman, but she was not an honest woman. <laughs> So I'm really glad that she got to go out and, and explore and finally find like Camilla. And, you know, even though they only did talk about Cisco, it was nice that it seemed like their friendship was real and authentic. And like Camilla was the one who had to be like, you know, you have to trust yourself again. Um, because oftentimes we see, you know, Iris have to put up a wall or be strong all the time and, and have to keep it together. But you know, here she's falling apart. She's been in this mirror for a few weeks and she's having suffering from neural dissonance. And there was no one there before because clearly Ava wasn't doing much for her. Um, So it was nice to see, to finally feel like Camilla and Iris's friendship was significant in in some kind of way. Um, So that was really nice. Um, What else? I don't know what was happening with Godspeeds, but I feel like it was important (laughs) which will sort of bleed into my predictions but like i feel like he has to do with reverse flash but i'll get to that um interesting yeah but i i just did i like the fact that like this episode did slow down and take stock of what was going on with everybody emotionally to sort of bring them back up and and bring Harry back to Harry, bring Barry back to like a moment of heroism where he's like, yes, this is what we need to do. I finally have a plan and this is what's going to happen. So it finally feels like he's going to pick himself back up and, you know, do what needs to be done and go find his woman and hopefully get some somewhere with the whole Carver thing. I do agree that I think like a lot of, um, criticism from 
West Allen fans in particular is that, you know, they're just worried that no one would take stock of the fact that Iris has been in the mirror this long and Barry didn't realize it and all that kind of stuff. So I, I do think you like, hopefully people are, are satisfied with the amount of plot that they dedicated to that part of uh, the episode with Barry telling the team. I do, I love that Barry went and found Joe. He's like, Iris is like, Mirror Iris is like, you could just go and, and find him. Like, you have speed. It won't take that long. And he's like, I can't do it. But now that he knows that um, Iris is maybe still alive in the Mirrorverse, I do like that he went out and found Joe. Um, even if his speed is dying, it was important for Joe to know. And that was another thing, I think, when Joe left the previous episode. And now we assume that he I assume he was going to be gone for the rest of the season. We're just not going to see Joe anymore. <laughs> it's just going to be Jesse L. Martin is like, I'm going to go back to New York City. Thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) So I I was very surprised that we saw him at all. Um, But the fact that Barry came and let him know what was going on with Iris, I think that was really important for Joe to know, even in witness protection about his daughter. Um, And it just kind of shows, you know, Barry is a good husband. (laughs) And the fact that he kept made sure that Joe was in the loop on what was going on. Um, and that Joe admitted that Wally told him, you know, something's wrong and he didn't believe it or he didn't really look into it. And all these little things, so it's not just like Barry, people have been like harping on Barry for not noticing all of these like little, little things that have been building up for the past episodes. So it's also good to see, mission from Joe also that Joe is just as much part of Iris's life as Barry um, being her dad and he also missed all these signs um, so that was good and then and as much as Barry is like beating himself up he's not like the only one um, Cisco even although his relationship with Camilla we don't see as much um, Cisco still was living with a fake Camilla for a while and he had no idea. Um, I like that Cecile mentioned David's husband because I'm sure he has no idea that Singh is not Singh. Um, but the fact that they just like remember that he existed was great. You know, even though we didn't, <laughs> we didn't go and check on him in person, but you know, <laughs> the fact that they remembered that he that David is gay and and his husband exists is fantastic. Um, I there was a lot of good character beats for like pairings and and um within this episode for friendships and tough love from parental figures so you had Nash with Barry which was a little bit more awkward and clumsy than Cecile with, with Cisco um I feel like they could have flipped those but those are probably the Cecile Barry Nash Cisco was probably like too redundant so they like flipped the script but not, <laughs> yeah whatever but the fact that they had um these sounding boards throughout the episodes, um, the obvious parallels between lost worlds, lost loves. You have Hartley and his boyfriend who've been separated for six years because of something that was partly Hartley's fault when he attacked Barry or um, gave Roderick the weapon to attack Barry. And, and, and he, he couldn't save Roderick on his own. And that kind of parallels with Barry, um, not 
really feeling at fault for not realizing that Iris was an Iris all this time. She, the real Iris is somewhere suffering because Barry couldn't get it together. So that was um, a nice parallel that comes back around at the end of the episode where Roderick and Hartley are united and they're like, true love wins out. I have my world again and you'll get your world back. And Barry's world is obviously Iris. So there's this kind of like hopeful tone at the end that Barry can still get his world back. Um, also, you had, I mean, if I'm going to, because I'm going to pick on it later, so I'm going to do like the compliment sandwich and say <laughs> some nice things I liked about the <laughs> storyline. Um, but I did, I one of my consistently I've liked is Frost and Ralph having such a close friendship and relationship. Um and that they've kind of like grown together and you know they because because they both started out as like terrible people so who better to assess how far Frost has come than someone who else who used to be a garbage person so like Ralph being able to kind of talk to Frost through her insecurities about meeting Carla and kind of telling her that you know you are a changed person you've graduated from the Ralph University of like learning how not to be a garbage person, you know, she has a certificate and everything's so just official. Um, I, I like their friendship. So I'll say that. Um, what else? I, I loved Hartley's sass <laughs> and how his sarcasm. I mean, like the fact that he thinks that everybody is on team flash is an idiot. <laughs> and like when he and Barry were tuning up and, it was this perfect setup from earlier in the episode that the sound waves and lightning makes people go vibrate and then right, right. he's like teaming up with Hartley and they have a person that they need to like stop moving so Hartley's like yeah let's do the thing and Barry's like I don't understand he's like how thick are you let's just do that we did before he's like oh okay um, so like little Hartley-isms like that were great. Um, Iris in the Mirrorverse, her finally getting out of that one room, and the fact that, I mean, it's taken, like, so long to get to this point, and I know, like, you, especially Satya's mentioned, like, obviously, like, a lot of times, like, why can't we see the rest of the Mirrorverse? And so it looks like now we're starting to be able to see the rest of the Mirrorverse, like, piece by piece at a time. So, like, Iris finally making it over to Star Labs, and um, I thought, like, the the scene of, you know, Camilla being like, oh, my God, no! And, you know, not trusting her at first, and then um, when they do finally, she has confirmed that it is Iris, and Iris is talking about her doubts about, you know, I should have known, I should have been able to do this, and um, Camilla, can, you know, confirming to her that, you know, it's not your fault, it's you know, I didn't know that you weren't you and, you know, all this kind of stuff. So, again, it's just kind of, like, reaffirming. So, I think eventually when Iris does get out, there won't be weird tension in that respect with Barry because there's someone else that Iris has been able to talk to that also had been working with this fraud for months and, and didn't realize it. So, just kind of, like, the understanding that they didn't come is not because they didn't want to, but just because they didn't know and also Iris not realizing that she was being duped it's 
you know, you couldn't possibly have known. So I, I really liked that in that moment when, especially now that Iris is starting to like fracture and scratch herself and do all this kind of stuff that there is a little like Jimmy Cricket, almost like Tinkerbell, self-conscious person, whatever, that's saying like, you know, you are still you and it's, you can do this. It's not, it wasn't your fault kind of thing to kind of pick her up and keep her going when at right at the moment when she's like threatening to like fall apart. And I also like they're going now to find Sing somewhere, which hopefully means that we'll get to go to the CCPD because I'm pretty sure that's probably where he's locked up. So um, all of that. Was yes. Um, so first I will say I have a genuine, uh, genuinely deep and abiding love for Hartley Rathaway. And I have ever since the comics because I ship Hartley and Sing a lot in the comics. And obviously I can't do that here. But I still love Harley himself. So I was really happy to have him back for the third iteration of his dynamic with Team Flash. And I like that this time he got an actual romance. You know, he got to, he got to at least talk about his relationship with Roderick. Um, and this, I believe, makes for the most featured... No, yeah, yeah. Solely on The Flash, because yes, he had um, Captain Cold. Who wasn't Captain Cold? What was his name again? Command... No, what was his name? Leonard Snark? Yeah, what? what was his? What was Leonard Snark's other name when he was in Crisis on on Earth X? Uh, oh, Lynn Lynn. <laughs> no, okay, whatever. It doesn't matter. Leo, 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 no, Leo, Leo, Leo. No. Yes, but I, I thought that they give him a different name. I thought it wasn't just Captain Cole, but it doesn't matter. So Leo Snark, because he was with the Ray, but we didn't get very much with them. But at least there was something. We had Nora flirting with Newsflash. Newsflash. What am I? Well, in the episode, it was called Newsflash, right? We had Nora. No, called Spin something. Yeah, it was called Spin, but wasn't the episode called Yeah. Spin? Oh, the episode, yes, was called Newsflash. Yeah. So we had Nora flirting with Spin for that one episode. And then we had the acknowledgement that David Singh will be marrying a man. And one time we saw that man's back. Um, so, yeah, that makes this the most featured same-sex relationship on The Flash specifically, which is very tragic. But it was nice to get um, to see his banter with Cisco again. Um, that was kind of like a version of the one they had in season one. Um, and we got to see some of that like complicated, you know, awe slash resentment he has of Wells, even though it wasn't his Wells. And also, once again, we see Barry's ability to inspire others to heroism. Which reminds me that I really appreciated how doubt was a running theme throughout every storyline in this episode. Um, and how every hero uh, in Crisis was partnered with someone who could remind them of their potential and what they had to fight for. So Iris, of course, had Camilla in the Mirrorverse. Cisco had Cecile, who was like, hey, listen, you're more than Vibe. Um, and also Camilla did not even know Vibe, let alone fall in love <laughs> with him. <laughs> um, Caitlin, or sorry, uh, Frost had Ralph giving her a diploma. And Hartley, weirdly, is the one that had Barry uh, instead of the reverse. So um, all of that was really nice to see it echoing each other and people lifting each other up and starting to um, fight, you know, for true love or mother-daughter relationships. But uh, the Godspeed stuff, you know, even though it was filler, like you said, uh, it did end up re-energizing Barry for his fight with, Ira with Eva and then his fight for Iris. So I thought that was um, interesting how it came back around in the end. And then, of course, Barry got to give one rousing speech to end all rousing speeches and did a pretty decent job of it i also really liked that we got some you know one-on-one -on -one scenes with iris and camilla um they deserve an actual friendship that is on screen and featured on the show and it was nice to hear camilla um 
reassure Iris and exalt her skills as a reporter. And I love that Iris is like, okay, well now we're going to find Singh because it's not, we know that she's not going to go anywhere unless she has the whole team together. Plus, like you said, now we'll hopefully get to see CCPD um, in the Mariverse. Even though it'll just be Singh in an empty room, it'll still be something. But yes, speaking of the Mariverse, I like that it actually looked cool this episode. We've got the have those cool little um, neural dissonance effects, and we get to see Iris losing it a little bit. Um, I wish that we had had more than one room this entire time, but, you know, I'm not going to keep bringing it up. I'm just glad that we're moving in a different direction for the last two episodes of the season. Also, I really loved the scene between Barry and Joe at the start of the episode. Um, Joe deserved to know what was going on. Um, and also, I like that he felt like he should have known and should have brought it up to Barry previous because we were all wondering why he didn't. Um, and also, JLM got that paycheck, and I was not expecting him to. I thought he was going to be gone for the rest of the season. So, yay! Um, I think that Frost and Rolf's friendship is cute, and I love the diploma little moment. That was that was so cute. So, um, I just think it's funny because it really does seem like Ralph is now Frost's best friend. Um, he likes <laughs> Frost more than he likes Caitlin, and also... <laughs> No one else cares about Caitlyn or Frost, apparently. So it's just Ralph. <laughs> anyway, um, also cool to hear B.D. Wong's voice coming out of Godspeed. And I think it'd be really cool if he was God, God like the person be behind awesome. God next season. So, yeah. There you go. What uh, did not spark joy? Um, Caitlyn stuff or Killer Frost stuff. I'm just very... <sighs> confused i guess <laughs> we know why she's leaving off screen but on screen it just i don't know how i should have felt like was this it seemed like a the closing of a chapter because you have her graduating from the divney school of getting better and becoming a better person or whatever so she sort of like succeeded in the fact that She's human now and she can be amongst humans um, as Frost. But also it felt bizarre because it's like it closed that chapter. But then I don't understand why she was so afraid of Carla because they made up last year. And I don't know. It was just like a really strange thing for me to see Frost being scared of going to see her mom which is actually her mom because she kept saying, it was like, oh, it's Caitlin's mom. Well, like, you guys are the same, you share the same body. She's technically your mother. Um, and like how it all played out, it just didn't feel as intense as I think it sh was supposed to feel on the page. Um, and just because it felt tacked on and it didn't really tie into the overall episode, um, considering all the other themes that were happening. So it just felt, like it was added in so that we can have a reason for why Frost was leaving, but then we already had a reason why she was leaving last week, so I don't feel like this storyline needed to be there in this episode. Um, yeah. And Barry, I don't know how Barry found Joe, to be honest. So that's like a little thing. It's like, yeah. Oh, I guess. <laughs> I guess they did not move in that far out of Central City so there you go <laughs> I agree with Tati about like the Mirrorverse like I'm glad that we're finally seeing it but I don't feel like even in this episode there was enough like we kept going like near the end of the episode I was like I need to go back to the Mirrorverse now and then we cut to like Ralph and Caitlin I'm like I don't know why we're here <laughs> Like this is not the plot that I don't want to go back to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it just felt like there needed to be one extra scene 
of Iris and Camilla in the Mirrorverse. Um, and speaking of which, while I'm also glad that, you know, we had that scene between them, it did feel odd, and you ladies will bring this up more than I will, but, like, Iris bringing up everything about Cisco and Camilla's relationship felt like we should be shipping them because Iris is bringing up all these fun things that we never see on screen. <laughs> um, and also, it was not about, like, how, I don't know, Camilla likes ketchup <laughs> so yeah that could have been like more facts about a non Camilla likes ketchup on her corn or something like really like gross and like yeah, why something, like really <laughs> random you know? and it yeah and it felt like considering like the fact that she, Camilla thought that Iris mirror Iris was actually Iris I mean real Iris could have also been lying <laughs> or faking i don't know um but it it was fine whatever um and (laughs) godspeed so like the main plot was just off-putting to me because it felt like there was a lot of exposition and i was trying to wrap my head around it. not that i didn't understand it but it felt like we kept going in circles and we didn't really get any answers about who godspeed is who he's working for what he was doing um, because it felt like half the time I was wondering, oh, is he working for Carver? Are they going to reveal that he, too, is an agent of Black Hole like the other metahumans? Or is he just, like, doing his own thing and weirdly stuck in the past and he's supposed to be from the future? Like, I didn't really know how I should have felt about him because we didn't really get anything besides, like, he's there because he needs speed and there's going to be a fight. So it didn't feel like it went anywhere considering that he's he was a character introduced in the reintroduced in the pilot or not the pilot, the season six premiere. Um, and it took this long to finally get there. And we still don't really know very much about him. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know what? Like, it's like, while you're talking about like Godspeed, that kind of is like weirdly similar to my hero academia right now. Or okay. <laughs> yeah, because like the, the bad guys have, there's like these, monster creature things called nomus and there used to be like people and now they've been like augmented or whatever so these big no thinking giant beasts or whatever and um so they cause like havoc and then like in the most recent part of like the anime there's like a new nomu and he's like the upgraded version so he can think a little bit and talk so he's got like more brain cognition than the previous iterations and like in the flash godspeeds like the first ones that we saw were just like robot voices kind of mm-hmm. that yeah. again whereas this one was like had thought process and like a thinking and stuff so <laughs> <laughs> but that's weirdly similar <laughs> um anyway that was not where i was going at all when i started <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah, okay. So while I appreciated like all of like the whole like lost lovers parallels throughout the episodes, Camilla and Cisco's love story did seem a little like forced or out of place in comparison, especially when the comparison is like Barry and Iris. Like every ship's gonna pale in comparison to to that six year history. But even I feel like Rod Hartley and Roderick Rodley? Rod Rodley? Hardrick? Something. Whatever that shit means. Hartley? Hart- Roderick? I like Hardrick. I like Hardrick. <laughs> Hardrick, okay. 
it that shit felt like it had some more built up angst in one episode compared to Cisco and Camilla's like seems and a half like love story. Um, especially felt really heavy handed in the cortex scene when Iris is like trying to convince Camilla she's real. Like I'm, like you said, me like you know. Even if it was mirror Iris back in the mirror verse, like she could think that, oh, you're in a relationship with Cisco. Um, you know, you love him, y'all are soulmates. <laughs> like, okay, even like a fake person would be able to lie about that and bullshit their way through that. Um, but it, and it wasn't until like six tries in when she talks about the, like the Chewbacca shirt. I'm like, wait, that is a specific detail. I can understand that maybe mirror Iris would not know about the Chewbacca shirt, but like, what about Camilla as a person? <laughs> you know, there's the, they only talk about Cisco and nothing else ever. Like, weird stuff about Camilla would have made that relationship... I think, like, she and Iris are cute together because Candace and Victoria are cute, and they like each other. But if I was just to go off of the dialogue alone, like, well, you, do you not know Camilla <laughs> at all? Do you just know her as Cisco's love interests and, you know, nothing else. Um, so, I've, like, for example, if there's, like, a line about how Camilla hates when Allegra is in charge of the lunch orders because Camilla's vegan and Allegra always orders, like, extra bacon on shit, like, that would have been nice because it would have shown, like, a bond between the Central City Citizen girls and that's a part of Camilla's identity that is not related to Cisco. Um, so I, I was kind of a little bit disappointed that I kept waiting for Iris to like deviate from Cisco into something deeper and it, that didn't really happen. Um, so that was a little bit disappointing. Um, the whole Caitlin plot, I feel like this is what I was saying last week, like the scene, the little two minute scene of her last week could have been moved to this episode and given her a bigger, more comprehensive plot because it, at first it didn't really make sense to me. Last week it was Caitlin for some reason, I guess because she had to be in a coma caused by, you know, freezing to death. And this time it's Frost, but there's no explanation on why it's Frost sick at home and not Caitlin still sick at home. Um, only the only kind of way that it would make sense is just because they needed to make sense for the story so that Ralph can talk to Frost and you know, and then the whole thing about Carla, like, Carla came up last week, like, why couldn't, if this last week's plot had been moved to this week, then we could have established that, need to go talk to Carla, and then, like, maybe Frost would be like, Ralph, come back, like, I'm, I don't really know about this plot, I know Caitlin wants to go, but I kind of don't want to go, and then they could have, you know, it would have made, like, a, a bigger comp, like, a completed story in one episode instead of like breaking it up in two episodes because it did like I think that the whole doubt theme thematic that Tasha talked about earlier and likes it, it does fit in in that sense but I don't understand the origin of Ross doubt for Carla like is she afraid that when they go Carla's gonna be like while I'm fixing things let me just erase Frost and have Caitlin back you know uh, and I feel like if maybe if that was like explicitly said and Frost was just like, this is why I'm upset or I don't want to go, then it would have made that storyline make more sense. 
but it was like at the end of we got through the big plot A and we have an, only a limited time to go back to a secondary plot. I'm like, all right, Mirrorverse. And then we see Frost and Ralph. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> this is not where I wanted to go. Like, this is not where it should have led back to, especially off the back of like Barry, like being let's defeat Eva. Like the common course would be to go into the Mirrorverse and see where Iris is and have her make a rousing speech or whatever. But it went left. It went the other way. So that was kind of like I was prepared to go somewhere and then it just didn't go that way. So, yeah. They, yeah. I understand. We understand that the reason why they need to ship Frost off screen, but the execution is a little choppy. This was an unfortunately placed episode. Like, first off, it's, it's acting as a so-called penultimate episode of the season when it clearly was not. Um, and it's like we all know is a filler episode before the real fight of the season kicks off, or at least to the back half of the season. So it feels awkward. Plus, it's just strange to have an episode fighting Godspeed, buff like after we've realized that Iris is in the mayor. Like you, I mean, you said like it's. I understand emotionally speaking, they're like, oh, we have to you know bring our confidence back up. But they could have done this episode without having the loss of confidence if they had just switched this one with last week's. Like, let's fight Godspeed. Oh, shit. Iris is not here. Now let's go get Iris. So, I don't know. It just didn't seem like it was um, properly ordered. But that's not, like, the episode itself's fault. It's just the way that the, it, it kind of cuts the build of the season. And since there's only one episode after this, it just really feels extra weird. But anyway, speaking of Godspeed, um, that mystery was introduced 18 episodes ago. Well, actually, before 18 episodes ago. But it wasn't a mystery back then. It was just like, here's this dude named Godspeed. But now, there's like, it's a Godspeed, but it's a robot. Let's not talk about it for 18 episodes. And then, this other Godspeed, ooh, it's an evolved Godspeed, shows up. And we still don't really know what's going on or how it's connected to anything. In the comics, Godspeed is actually connected to Black Hole in that um, his storyline starts the Black Hole storyline and then he comes back through it. So, <laughs> but that clearly doesn't seem to be the case here. It could be, but it doesn't seem to be yet. Um, and that just kind of leaves me, like, questioning, like, if we know what we want in the Stack Apple season. Because we already did not know what Joseph Carver's goal really is. Or what would be different about Eva's goal. Um, or what Black Hole really does, other than kind of kill people sometimes. And hire metas to do it. So um, it would be nice if someone knew what was going on because it feels like it kind of feels to me like the Leviathan, the Leviathan situation on Supergirl, where it's just kind of like, mm, things are happening, machinations behind the scenes. We all have plans, but I don't know where those plans are leading. <laughs> um, and also it feels different from the first half of the season, which was a little bit dry, but at least we knew exactly what Ramsey wanted and why he wanted it. So his arc as a villain made a lot of sense, even if it wasn't always exciting. So anyway, I don't know. I guess you just like have one or the other. Um, also, as much as I loved the through line of the episode, holy pep talk, Batman. Everyone just had pep talks with everyone else. I loved all the confidence got parallels, the lost love emotions, but like there has to be a more dynamic way to set up at least one of those than just let's sit down and talk about why you are a wonderful person. <laughs> and why you are gonna get through this. He's like, okay. You I, are I just smart. Uh, you are 
time. He who is important. Exactly. Especially <laughs> very speech at the end. I know it's supposed to be like emotional or whatever. I'm like, God, like can we can we move past the speech and get to the action part? Because yeah. I really I thought that was like the most unnecessary thing. Like after all the pep talks to get to the final pep talk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like the mini the mini fights sticking to the boss fight, but there's all pep talks. Um so anyway. Um, I don't mind so much that Cisco and Camilla are like a forced ship. Like, I'm like, okay, I get it. Y'all like them. I like them. I think they're cute. They're OTP. I get it. But what I really didn't like was that the only things they had, Iris, they had to tell for Iris to say about Camilla were about Cisco. I'm like, did y'all not think of a single fact about Camilla? Like, do you all know who Camilla is at all? I don't no. think that those writers have any idea who Camilla is. It's literally just Here's I mean, Camilla. I'm, like just I can like understand because it's her first episode, so. You know, she doesn't know Camilla. Yeah. Like, I'm going to give her a Camilla fact sheet. Like, this is the character of Camilla. She's a photographer. Exactly. She could have said one thing, like, their first photographic, you know, their, the, the first story that Camilla did for, for the citizen and how, it's, you know, whatever, the photograph she did of it. Like, whatever. But no, they did not. And so they're just like, these are your feelings about, about Cisco. Okay, then. Um, that was sad, and I think that we need to work harder on that. Um, why does Barry know where Joe is when Joe is in witness protection? What is the point of witness protection if Barry can just go there? And if Barry knew where Joe was, why did he even bother getting kicked out of his house? And he could have just taken Iris <laughs> to Joe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Although I did like that. I liked the scene, like I said, but I was still just like, I'm sorry. Hello. Do we not know where Joe is right now? It's in unknown place. Anyway. He um, went digging through Singh's files and found it. Apparently. <laughs> um, also, Nash um, being in charge of pep talking Gary was like the one pep talk that did not work at all for me. I was just like, like he, I was like, why is he yelling at him? Stop so yelling awful. at him. <laughs> I didn't even realize that it was supposed to be one of them until he like switched from that and then was like, you have to forgive yourself. Just like I've forgiven myself for my much, much worse mistakes. Like, oh. <laughs> okay, Nash. Um, that was stupid. Um, and yeah, I thought we got rid of Caitlin last week. So when she came back this week, as for us, I was like, I'm sorry, we're doing this again. What? Um, and also I just didn't understand. Like, I mean, you guys already covered it, but I just don't understand what the issue was because I thought when she was saying I might not see you guys for a long time or blah blah she was gonna hibernate like Caitlin did like Caitlin mm-hmm. hibernated I thought she was afraid of dying like that's why it's like she thought that she was gonna go to Carla and Carla's like well let's we don't need you let's save Caitlin by removing you and that she thought she was gonna die <laughs> so yeah, I mean like I guess like, like that could have been it but like I thought like I was like why don't you just go to sleep like Caitlin <laughs> has been doing for you and then your mom won't need to kill you because she, she won't even see you. Like, clearly it's fine. <laughs> you guys can handle it. <laughs> but I don't know. That's why I thought it was so strange. I was like, what is she saying? What is going on? And then, I mean, I feel like Ralph's pep talk was really cute, like I said. But it's kind of like, you're not really... I mean, I liked it when he came back, actually, and was like, okay, you know what? We all suffer doubt. That is actually very human of us. So when I said that you aren't very human, if you are worried about your mom killing you, then um, that was stupid of me. So I was like, okay. Um, But yeah, so it just seemed like really odd, like one sequence did not follow another because I did not know what Caitlin was going through. Yeah, because they're basically calling Carla murderer. (laughs) Well, he wants to murder Frost. Yeah, 
I didn't, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't think that she wanted to murder her or that I didn't even read. That's not how I interpreted what Frost was going through. I just thought that she was like down in the dumps and didn't want to go because she didn't want to acknowledge that her mom wasn't her mom or whatever. And I think that was such a weird time to have that. Exactly. Like, why do you care? You've literally never cared about this. (laughs) But okay. (laughs) So yeah, it it was just really strange. I, I, I get they were trying to fit it in with a theme and that they just wanted to pay Danielle some more. So that's fine, but it was, it was it with the Nash plot could have gone. <laughs> um, all right. So feedback. Oh, that's me. Okay. So feedback, we have Suara, Paulina, and Celeste. So first up, Suara says, the flash was interesting and very, and very good. Usually in the hands of a lesser writer, an episode like this would be a jumbled mess. However, Jess Carson did a great job with that, with what she had to do, giving us emotive and compelling stories for the main members of Team Flash and Harley. While Godspeed was definitely forced in, I like that they had the spot relate back to defeating Eva at the end. Iris and Camilla finding each other was also great. And I loved how Camilla was there for Iris. I'm hoping that the storyline will have a, bit, a satisfying resolution in the midst of the pandemic situation somehow. And of course, Ripoff Elsa had to be in this episode for some reason, getting comforted by Ralph. Tragic. I'm sorry she's been even more out of place recently, and honestly, it's just objectively just not good. An unfortunate icy blemish. So Swatter has no love for Frost. Um, Celeste says, Okay, so this episode wasn't as filler as I thought it was going to be. First off, so, so happy that The Flash now has a writer that is a black woman. It's taken so long, but we made it. Secondly, this episode was actually good. Was it my favorite? No, but it was still entertaining minus the Frost stuff. Iris making another goodbye video, please. The war flashbacks I got from that. <laughs> they stay making, like, goodbye videos to each other. Every time. They're so dramatic. Every time someone's about to die, it's like, let me first. Oh, yeah, I love that video. I forgot to say that. They don't want to leave each other. <laughs> the parallels, the parallels. Oh, um, let's see. She liked Iris and Camilla and the Mirrorverse. Actually, really, really cute for the brief scenes that they got. Uh, Barry feeling guilty was nice to see because even though I feel bad for him, it would have been strange if he didn't feel some type of guilt towards the fact that he didn't find out about Iris and the other sooner. Um, also, I don't get why the Flash hates gay so much. Hartley and his boyfriend barely share any PDA on screen, and that was visible. That was true. I was expecting them to kiss at the end, like when they were talking about, you know, lost love and looking at each other and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, now kiss, and they didn't, so... <laughs> Um, I hope they change that real soon because it's kind of tiring. We have no LGBT main characters, and the few side characters that are gay are never around for long, or they're killed off, aka Nora. And Sing, really, who's never on there. Um, lastly, I know it was just an excuse for why Caitlin Frost weren't going to be around for what was supposed to be the rest of the season, but it felt very heavy for what was supposed to be a temporary leave. I could see Danielle possibly reoccurring for a bit. Um, and then finally, Paulina says, hi, hope you're doing well. Looking forward to listening in on the podcast and hearing your thoughts as always. Per usual, I've included my number of thoughts on Paper Piper, um, which I will read a few of and put the rest up with the rest of the feedback on Tumblr. Um, Paulina says this episode was an odd one because there are things that I love and things I didn't love at all. But overall, it was a solid episode. The episode was essentially pep talks galore. Nash gives Barry a pep talk, Cecil gives Cisco a pep talk, Camilla gives Iris a pep talk, Ralph gives, gives Frost a pep talk, 
although this is purely character coddling. Um, I feel like they're all character coddling in this episode, to be honest. Um, she says, Barry gives the team a massive pep talk. Oh, and Barry and Hartley have a heart-to-heart as well, which wasn't exactly a pep talk, but at the same time, my, one might construe it as being one, seeing as Hartley does eventually come to Barry's aid in the fight against Godspeed. Uh, literally pulling my hair out by the end of the episode with all these pep talks. The parallel of Barry and Iris doubting themselves was pretty well done. Barry immediately voices doubts in his ability to save Iris right off the bat to Joe, and we see that escalate when he yells after Cisco, ever the cynic, starts questioning him about having a plan. Iris doubting her abilities as an investigative journalist and her ability to trust in herself is also very realistic. Um, in general, I really like thematically the strength of Barry and Iris' love for each other was such a strong undercurrent to the episode, even though they didn't share screen space. Barry constantly reflecting on how much he misses Iris and his body language constantly being exhausted, devastated, and run down, along with Iris's devastating video message to Barry, where she promises that she will always be with him no matter what worlds keep them apart, really strengthen the episode's emotional core. Um, Iris and Camilla's friend are the friendship we deserve. No more friendships involving Iris coddling white women. Iris and Camilla actually got mutually supportive scenes, and I really like Camilla coaxing Iris to trust and believe in herself again. Um, let's see. The show keeps telling us Cisco and Camilla are absolutely in love with each other, but they fail to show Camisco on screen. Thus, it's hard to buy into this love story when the show doesn't even invest screen time in it. It's too bad because I do think they are cute together. Um, next week, I predict that Iris will not get out of the mirror, but I do think Barry will come very, very close to rescuing her. I do think the fact that she's experiencing neurological dissonance in the mirror is going to complicate matters, and so I expect we're going to get something really sad where Barry nearly succeeds in saving her but fails. Maybe he finds her video message as well, which would be even more devastating. So, on that note... (laughs) Sad times, Paulina. (laughs) Yeah, that was depressing. So what are y'all's predictions? Um... Well, I mean, this is... My first one is more of like, this would be really cool if it happened, because I don't think... I don't think Iris could get out of the mirror episode, mirror episode, the mirror verse next week, but <laughs> it would be fun to have Barry thrown in there with her. Like he's got his nice jacket on in the pictures and everything. He's ready to see his wife. He's visiting Ava's office. <laughs> so that would be fun. Like in it, I think it would be an interesting twist, um, but probably unlikely. Um, but my Godspeed uh, theory has to do with reverse flash because we know now that he's, since he's out of Nash's body and he's kind of like Voldemorting around and becoming like a little Horcrux or whatever. So now that he can sort of go in, go in and out of other people's bodies, probably he's trying to find a body to hold his speed. And uh-huh. this is why all of these different God speeds are like showing up and becoming more developed over time. Cause he's trying to find like the perfect body that will hold him. Um, yeah, so like he he needs a body, and this is why he's trying to like siphon off speed from Barry or asking for velocity now, and why he's not maybe not connected to Black Hole. I'm gonna edit your prediction a little bit <laughs> now to it because I do think <laughs> that Gus is is connected to Black Hole just because we've seen him from the premiere and when. 
Eobard was still a part of Nash. Um, so I don't think that Eobard was thinking that far outside the box. So I do think that Godspeed is still part of Black Hole. But I do agree with you that maybe while he's out there Voldemorting around in the universe, that maybe he is helping Carver develop Godspeed to be more effective, or he's just going to hop into Godspeed's body when they finally get Godspeed the way that they want him. Mm. Um, I think maybe Carver, because that could be something, like Carver's been like trying to develop this whole Godspeed, and he's narcissistic enough to think that he could be a god, so maybe he's been trying to develop Godspeed, and then like Eobar comes in at the last minute and steals it from him, could be one thing. Um, but also, what I got confused about at the end of the episode was Eva and that little light-up coffin thing <laughs> and her coming out. I'm like, what is she doing? And I, my prediction is that Eva, that little box that she was in, was to help stabilize her from her, like, neurodissonance. Because this whole episode with Hartley and Roderick was about Roderick being destabilized and not mm-hmm. being able to be his full self and whatever was happening with Godspeed and the sound the bullshit science about charged sound and helium and all that other stuff whatever that was going on fixed him so and I feel like Eva's light up coffin thingy was probably based on the same theories as what they used to fix Roderick so maybe she also has some kind of technology and because she didn't go to Carver right away because she was like scrambled. So whatever she's in at the end of this episode stabilized her. So, and we know that next week when Barry goes to talk to Carver, he's like, your wife is no longer your wife anymore, nor dissonance. She's never going to be the same, even if she is still alive. So that's going to be like angst for Barry. Um, but probably by the end of the season, um, they would have eventually put Iris in this like light up coffin thingy to stabilize her, and then whoever else is also in black hole, so like Camilla and Singh, would also have to use that to get back into their right minds. So that's my prediction. I like that. That makes sense. Um, I feel like my predictions have been the same. It's just basically that Barry will either lose his speed getting Iris out or else Iris will be the only one trapped and she'll get Camilla and sing out. But either way, like Barry and Iris will either still be separated or like in a position where they're not, but everything is the worst. (laughs) So um, shall we move on to Legends of Tomorrow? Yes, Yes. please. (laughs) All right, we're almost done. The episode is ship broken. Everyone is eager to use the loom of fate the team must decide who they want to bring back first, leaving Charlie to make a tough choice. Although Lily was very easy because she was like, I do not know or care about Astra, and I do know and <laughs> so I do know. Sarah struggles to understand what has happened to her with the help of Constantine and Ava. Meanwhile, Gary, no, Rory, because I forgot his name was Nick Rory. I was like, who the fuck is Rory, my cat? Okay, <laughs> meanwhile, Nick has a guest on the ship that he's trying to impress, a.k.a. his child, who wants to be a thief just like him. And Gary gets an emotional support dog. Andy Armaganian, 
directed the episode written by James Egan and Mark Bruner. What sparked joy? Me. I went first last time. Yeah, May started last time. You Come did. on, Jessica. Program. Um, Astra's observations of Constance um, were great. In the beginning of the episode, when everyone is, like, fighting over who to save first, like, Nate predictably takes Zari's side. And Zari expects John to take her side. Like, pick me, love me. But he doesn't. He takes Astra's side. And then later, when John wants to search the ship and he's looking at Z, like, I need a Watson to my homes. Pick me, love me. And she's like, no, thank you. So <laughs> that was an interesting little, like, parallel that's going back and forth between them. And then from Astra's perspective, like, looking at all of this, she's obviously been raised in hell, so, and been raised to view relationships as a means to manipulate people to get what you want. So her take on the whole thing is, like, Nate's taken Z's side, meaning that Z was successfully able to manipulate Nate, but even though she has Nate, Z's mad because she couldn't manipulate John. We know as the audience and a big part of Nate taking Z's side, of course he, Bayrod is his best friend. So obviously he would want to save him, blah, blah, blah. But he's also in love with Z and he wants to be like the hero of like, yes, I'm with you Z. Let's save your brother, you know? So, but like from Astra's observation, mm-hmm. Z wants John to be in her influence. Um, like she doesn't really care as much about Nate being on her side as much as she cared about John there go, via the transitive property, Z actually wants John to be in love and with her and make this, like, grand gesture and be her hero. So it's, like, science people, and the subject is chemistry. <laughs> so, um, that, <laughs> that whole thing exchange was, like, really, really interesting, seeing it from our perspective, and then also Astro, who's also, like, an outsider in this whole thing. Um, I liked that I had issues last week with um, gang up on Astro Day, and it is still gang up on Astro Day on the ship this time. But I did like that she had allies, or that Ava was just like, "Hold on, let's not blame the new guy." Because um, honestly, for a ship of misfits that all come from like shady past, they are all incredibly judgmental <laughs> about the new person. Like they were judgmental about Charlie when she first showed up on the ship um, last season. So I'm glad that Ava was like, let's just, you know, give some benefit of the doubt. And then, you know, as stuff kept unfolding with no explanation, it did make Astra look bad. But at least Ava was, like, in the beginning on Astra's side. I like that John is on Astra's side, like, firmly on her side um, and believing in her. So that and that she it was proven that she was not actually the cause of the damage on the ship. It was Gary's ass and his emotional support dog. Um, so that was fun. And the fact that it's son of Sam's demon dog and that Gary lied about where he got the dog <laughs> and that he did get the dog from hell, um, which obviously like you don't bring any, you don't bring animals back from hell, Gary. Like it should be pretty obvious, but the fact that he did it is just so Gary. And it was a hilarious way to use a demon, not an encore, because he's not really an encore, but like a um, a demon dog and um, all that on the ship. I thought that 
Um, Sarah's powers, I have an interesting theory about it. Um, I also like that it was, you know, there's a lot of mystery behind this episode. There was not really clear cut anyway. Like you wouldn't really notice that the dog was the culprit until it came up to that point. The dog seemed like a badass dog when he kept like peeing and, and pooping everywhere and running off. I'm like, there is no way that dog is certified to be an emotional support animal. Like he does not have any certification. He is not a well-trained dog. Um, but like, other than that, you would have never have thought that this could be what it actually turns out to be. Um, with, I don't know how Mick and Lita or Lida really had time to like focus on that ship with everything else that was going on outside of it. But it was kind of nice that they also had a complex storyline and, you know, him, I thought it was, it was kind of weird. Like he meets her on campus and she's like, go away. He's like, oh, okay. I guess I will go away to my giant spaceship. It's just like a kind of I want to be a cool dad kind of move, and she fell for it, and she got on the ship. Um, so it was kind of interesting, like in the midst of all of the chaos going around, that they did have time to carve out a nice storyline of Mick trying to be a decent human being and a decent father for Lita, and Lita seeing her dad in a new light and coming to an understanding at the end of why, like even though they have this kleptomania problem in common why he does not want to bond with her in that way um just because of how his life turned out which was which is really nice that they came to that kind of understanding yeah going all right off of the whole mick lita thing um i love that they like it's so weird because i was watching i was like i'm really enjoying this storyline who am i Um, they have a really interesting dynamic and I think it's very complex and I love the fact that they don't have Lita immediately try and, you know, trust Mick because of everything that's happened and they have a very uh, multidimensional relationship and they're still trying to sort all of that out. Um, and in terms of like a bottle episode legends it reminded me a lot of the um one with zari repeating time over and over again because it was also on the ship um but it always surprises me like how legends can turn such a cute thing into something really evil <laughs> like you had <laughs> yes like you had like a bebo or the puppets yeah and this time you have like this really cute dog and you're like oh i want to take him home and then it turns into a hellhound that causes all this mayhem and destruction um so <laughs> i was really surprised by that because at first, you know, you really don't know who to blame. Everyone was pointing fingers and it was like sort of understandable because you're like, someone had to have been doing this, but then who is it and how did how are they mind controlling it? And it was really great how they tied that back into uh, Sarah's new magical ability of, you know, she's blind slash has seers so she can see the future and um, seeing all of this d- devastation happen before it actually occurred, which actually helped the team out in the end. Um, that fight scene with her flipping over while blindfolded was really awesome. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all of that was great. And then finally Sarah's getting something. Like finally after almost a year since the writers introduced the whole, oh, Sarah will have this magical thing happening with her. We're finally getting to see it. <laughs> um, and then. This is much better than a magical cold. I'll give them yeah. That. Yeah. 
Um, and then, you know, Zari trying to, even though they had like their issues, whatever, but like Zari trying to befriend Astra in the end. Um, but also like just said Astra's ab- observations of, uh, the new love triangle on the show, <laughs> Constancy, excuse me, um, was amazing. For real copper. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so I like that, you know, she recognized that something is going on and that Constantine was trying to play to... Astra's feelings, but also to Zari's feelings, and Zari was trying to play to Nate's feelings, and also to John's feelings, and it was very, <laughs> very entertaining. Um, but mostly, I just like that Nate was more removed from all of that because he was just busy trying to help Mick. <laughs> so, you know. Anyway, solid episode. Um, I agree. I think that it was like, um, no one does a bottle episode like Legends. I think. Um, they always manage to, like you said, take the most innocuous concept or just even the strangest concept and just make it um, A, evil, and B, a lot of fun. So I really love that everyone was just stuck on the ship with a cute dog that was a hellhound. Uh, um, I also um, really loved... <laughs> I love that it really became like a whodunit. Like, it was like 40 minutes of like tension and suspicion. Um, and, you know, you reveal like people like what side people are on like jessica was talking about earlier before you know like nate's on zari's side because he you know wants barrel back and he wants zari but then astra interprets that a different way and then john's on astra's side because he made a promise but then zari interprets that a different way which then causes john to interpret things a different way so yeah so everyone's just um on edge over the loom over the loss of the rings and over the telepathic dog telling them to kill people. So um, I also really like that Charlie's like getting stuff to do with the Loom storyline. Like they made her a fate. So now she actually gets screen time and (laughs) story (laughs) importance. Excellent. Um, Also love that, um, like you said, Ava was carrying through with her like new side of, of Astro that she saw. She was trying to like keep the peace and sort of like wait and see the facts, which is great. But I especially like that Zari was reaching out um, and trying to make an alliance with Astra, if you will, and that Astra kind of fought fought back, quote unquote, a using like observations and facts about her dynamic with John, but then also just kind of like as a defensive technique. And they were both like bantering back and forth really well. So hopefully, after this storyline, Astra might stay on the ship, and then we might get a Zari and Astra friendship, which would be very interesting. Um, I also totally agree with Jessica's interpretation of the situation, which I already said. And I like the believable tension between Zari and Constantine throughout the episode, even though we didn't really have screen time for them together. Like, they still felt like it was carrying the storyline forward, while Nate was not carrying anything forward, which is double yay! Um, aside from that, um, speaking of getting things to do, Sarah finally did something. Um, I really thought she had killed Gary for a second. I was like, oh my god! What? What happened? But aside from that, um, I also loved her blind assassin moment. That was really cool. And, you know, Ava getting to be the supportive girlfriend. Is always fun. Um, I'm also still just really charmed by Mick and Lita's Lita's storyline. It's nice to see them bonding. It's cute how, A, like, even though she's always, like, harping on him for, like, being a shit dad and not being around, 
Um, it's still like she wants to be like him. She's like, mm, I want to steal some things too. And then he was like, mm, you should not. <laughs> Let me try to be a good dad. Because he easily, I feel like, previously could have been like, yes, I will teach you to be the best thief. And then you will be my new Captain Cold. My child Cold. <laughs> but instead, he was like, mm, no. And also, don't drink. <laughs> so, yeah. There it is. Um, that's all. Because it was just like a really, not. it's not like a simple episode, because it was actually quite complex in, in its set up but in terms of like what it was accomplishing it was very simple in its execution so well done what did not spark joy the whole argument over who to say first like i feel like unless there's some kind of time limit or recovery period between when the loom's used and how many times charlie can use a loom um it just seems really dumb to fight over who do you save first? Like the reason they started the mission in the first place is that John could save Astrid's mom and Astrid never winds up going to hell. And seeing as how Astra is or was simply against, against them before, it makes sense to me that you bring back her mom so that they can close the book on the one person trying to kill them. Um, I mean, like what would it really matter if Behrad was not alive for 30 seconds longer than it would take for Charlie to bring back Astra's mom? And then, like, you know, Ava's like, oh, but what about Sarah? So, like, Sarah's not even dead, first of all. So, just, you know, that's just ridiculous. But between, like, Fehrad and, and um, Astra's mom, I just felt like, why would you want Astra there longer than necessary? Just give her her mom so she can go. <laughs> um, so I thought that whole argument was really ridiculous. Um, and then I also agree, like, Astra, of course, she was trying to manipulate Zari a little bit. And Zari definitely picked up on it. But Astra made some points. Charlie has not used the loom in however many thousands of years. Behrad is complicated because he's a time traveler. And first of all, he's supposed to be dead in a different universe. But Astra's mom, she was a human and then she died. Like it's a simple, it's a clean cut. So I agree that Astra's mom's thread would have been a much simpler fix or a good warm up for Charlie. But instead, they chose to fix the most complicated problem first, which has only exacerbated the rest of the storyline because now they they figured out that they can't she can't use them on her own. So I mean, I don't know. That was the main most I think most of the episode. Other than that, because the rest of the episode flowed like flowed off the back of that one dislike <laughs> so there wasn't really anything else that the like the rest of the story works it's just that the catalyst to the episode that just didn't really make a lot of sense and just seemed unnecessarily complicated to me yeah i agree with that i think that people are everyone was really so quick to blame astra for whatever was going on on the ship without having all the facts so they just liked pointing fingers at the person closest to hell. Think. Yeah, closest to hell and who they think would <laughs> actually be the culprit. But at the same time, it's like like you said earlier, everyone on the ship has been is not exactly, you know, clean, straight, clean yeah. on the straight and narrow. So it's like, why are you acting like you guys are st- the best? <laughs> like Constantine himself is still just does like, random shit whenever he wants to. Like, so like his motto was like we fuck up things for the better. Oh, that that reminds me because this is like um, 
sorry to cut in, but they're one of the big things that I feel like I missed Bray and Nora. And it was just so convenient that they were written off before we really got into the storyline about a child that has grown up, been forced into demon slavery because oh. Nora really related to that. And Nora could yeah. have definitely helped in that situation. Bray is empathetic just in general, but neither of them are there anymore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was very noticeable. Um, so I did not like that. And I think that No, never mind. I didn't like it. <laughs> Everyone <laughs> needs to lay off Astra just a little bit because, you know, they're not as great as they think they are all the time. Um, some of them still aren't. I mean, Mick is still on the ship. <laughs> so. Hey, he's, he's trying me. Yes, I know. I know. He has a daughter now, so now he knows. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, only when men have daughters do they, do they suddenly have an awareness. <laughs> <laughs> um but other things I didn't that did not spark joy was something and now I can't remember. <laughs> um Oh. Oh, yes. Well, I know I wasn't the only one picking up on that weird Nate Lita Lita whatever was oh. happening. That was really odd. I was like as does she have a crush on him? I don't, I don't know where they I don't know what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I think I I think maybe he was just supposed to be like the cool guy on the yeah. ship, but it, yeah. I think it, it was accidental. If it's not, then yeah. I will be annoyed. But <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, and oh. sorry before <laughs> I just want to get to the pod. <laughs> As much as um, I enjoyed the little bit with um, Ava and everyone kind of thinking Sarah was just a little bit loopy, but like this is the legends. Weirder things have happened to you guys. I think that you should take the time to believe her when she says that she's been seeing things. <laughs> Very true. At this point, everything is possible and happening. It's like Welcome to Night Vale over there. Right. <laughs> and that is. <laughs> Um, so yes, I agree with basically all these dislikes, um, mostly like just cut Astra some slack people. Just be nice to Astra. Um, I'm on team Ava and uh, Zari and everyone else. Just be quiet. Um, cause yeah, like all of them are here because they were misfits. They all start off in like a weird place. They've all done some really shitty things. Um, so I think that they can all just relax and, uh, not be so quick to jump down newcomers throats. Um, especially because they know why Astra has come with them, and it's not like she's done anything yeah. to them on the ship yet. So, meh. Um, also, Sarah deserved more than that one uh, badass blind assassin battle sequence. So, like, I feel like it's like she's done nothing for, like, I don't know, many episodes, and now it's like, I'm blind. And also, I can see the future, but the future's only telling me that this dog is going to make me kill everyone. <laughs> so it's like, okay, cool the story. <laughs> yeah, the, the very immediate future. Um, but anyway... Uh, aside from that, um, yeah, like, I, this is what I wrote down. What was that weird shit with Nate and Lida? I don't know what they were doing there. I was like, am I supposed to feel weird about this? It felt very weird. I didn't. I thought it was going somewhere. Like, not necessarily somewhere romantic, because God, that would be awful. But um, just like somewhere. Like, I was like, is it like, oh, Nate teaches me good history and you are bad at history, Dad? No, it was just like Nate was like, I'm here to help you win your daughter over with 
the coolness of our ship and history. And also so that I don't interfere with uh, the Ladies of Gumption's interest in the Nate and Zari, or Nate, in the Constantine and Zari storyline. So I guess that's why. Thank you for doing your patriotic duty. But yeah, otherwise, that's pretty much it. I thought it was a solid episode. I didn't really have anything grating other than be nice to Astra. So do we have feedback? We do, from Suara, who is our Legends correspondent. And Suara says, Oh my god, Legends. This episode was amazing. I love Astra, and she fits in so well with the team, and I love her and Zari's burgeoning friendship. The Demon Dog storyline was perfectly hilarious and fit right in. This is how you use Gary in an episode, writers. I suppose my only disappointment is that Sarah's powers now seem to be of precognition instead of being the unkillable Kenny of the team. But this storyline does seem really interesting, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Didn't care much for the storyline about the bald man connecting with his daughter. <laughs> but some parts of that were enjoyable, at least. Thank you, Suara. Thank you. Thank you. Your feedback is always appreciated. Do we have any predictions? I do. Ooh, go on. So, in the beginning of this episode, Charlie tries to use the loom by herself, and she fails. So, we know that in order to be successful with the loom, you need three fates. And two of those three fates are evil bitches, so they're not going to help. But, Lachesis has been mentoring... um, Astra to become a fate anyway. So that's one fate down. And then Sarah, I think because she got hit with Atropos's like light beamy thing, that her precognition is like her semi being coming of fate. So mm-hmm. I think the new trio of fates are going to be Charlie, Sarah, and Astra by the end. And Ooh. so that is one thing. And then probably because of the power of friendship and redemption, Astra will agree to save Behrad first. Um, and then this is, I'm a little bit, I don't know where they're going to go with it, whether it's Astra gets her mom back or they can only use the loom once and Astra used up her chance to have her mom back by saving Behrad, but she's fine with it now because she's an evolved person. One of those things is going to happen, I feel like. Mm. I would hate that second one. So hopefully hopefully they all come back. <laughs> I guess the only way I could accept it is if it kept Astra around longer. Because I feel like if she had her mom back, she would feel no need to be on the ship anymore. Yeah, because she wouldn't have grown up. Like, she would have grown up a normal childhood. Mm-hmm. She, that that would have been like a Zari storyline where... yeah. She, retrieved her family and now she's an influencer in, in London somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Or yeah, yeah, that's true. Or like they, they, they bring her back, but then it like turns out that something else happened. Like her mom went off and did something else. And so now it's like, we have to go rescue her mom. <laughs> you know, her mom is alive, but not here. So you must go with Astro to rescue her. <laughs> More time. All right. So um, with that uh, being said, who is our lady with gumption of side B and then of overall? Um, yeah, I mean, Astra for Legends, mm-hmm. I think, Astra, since she's I... actually, you know, knew the demon dog's name to send it yeah. back. To... Yeah, and I agree with that. she was actually telling the truth that she was not sabotaging the ship, so. And for, you know, 
bringing up uh, Constant Z for us. <laughs> and then the other side is The Flash. I was going to say Mary. Like, I thought you were talking about like side A. I was like, okay, so Mary and Astra. Oh, no. Oh, no, I meant... Uh, I just gonna, like, ignore The Flash. Anyone, to be honest. Do we have anyone from Flash? I was just going to like ignore it like we ignored Supergirl. So. Hey, we gave Supergirl a fake one, okay? I mean, <laughs> the only one on the Flash would be like a, as a nod, I guess, is that Iris finally went to find Camilla. <laughs> That's true. Iris found another room. Yeah. Far so, is low. <laughs> I yeah, said a nod. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Iris <laughs> opened a door. <laughs> it took a lot of gumption, all right. <laughs> Clearly, it took. She so was many suffering episodes. from neural dis. dis- <laughs> How dare exactly. you? <laughs> all right. Um. So from Astra. Yeah. Yeah. Between Astro and Mary. Okay. Vote. Oh God. Um, Mary. Yeah. Mary. Yeah. Mary. Okay, good. I'm glad. I didn't want to go first, but I agree. <laughs> All right. So your congratulations, Mary. No one's keeping track, but we love you. All right. So <laughs> please uh, give us any feedback that you guys have at ladieswithgumption at gmail.com at dctvgumption on Twitter or ladieswgumption.tumblr.com. And uh, come back next week for more of the four. Oh, I like that. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Bye.